Okay, let's start this episode with the uh, the usual housekeeping. Just follow me on Instagram at Average Joe's Beer Podcast. Follow me on Facebook, do the Average Joe's Above Average Beer Podcast. You can find me that way on Untapped and Twitter at JoeBob41. Please leave a, a five-star review if you can. If, if you like the content en- enough, go on iTunes or whatever your podcasting uh, app of choice is and Please review the podcast. Uh, give it, give it some, give it some love because that really helps boost it and get it out to more people. Get it in front of more people. That allows me to do more of this and have more people listen to it. Uh, this is just me coming off an amazing beer weekend in the Midwest. Uh, I got a lot of love to give out right now, so I want to start with a uh, shout out to 450 North Brewing and put on their Corn Maze Fest. It was just incredible. And again, Midwest beer, Chicagoland beer, uh, some of the best in show out there, some of the best lines, uh, longest lines, and people who are just out of their minds. Uh, Chad Chad over at Little Beaver just showed out completely, 12 taps deep uh, at a at a fucking fest. It was insane. Uh, they killed it with their uh, peach rings and their s'more stout. They just had so many great offerings, and the the line at four o'clock in, the, in that corn maze was wrapped around their section. Um, obviously, phase three murdered it with three different uh, curvature variants, some IPAs. They had their F stop out there. They had their strawberry chantilly. Um, one of the big big awesome ones that we all loved was uh the the four beers that oz from uh from the sour note out in hammond brought in they were just ridiculous their uh purple stuff on their uh, their note by the foot was just incredible if you can get your hands on those beers or get into the tap room to try those go see oz and, and have them pour you one of those guys they're insane hopefully that's something they can can down the road or at least get out to some more uh some some more draft areas in the chicagoland area so everybody can try it um eagle park they were really impressive um southern grist was absolutely great and the next big gush of love I'd like to send out to a guy who, through this podcast, has become a friend of mine now, and that's Trevor over at Old Irving Brewing Company. The guy does so much for, for so many people. He he brews for a, a, a restaurant bar, brew pub that's just insane up there, the Old Irving Brewing. Great food. The beer is just awesome. And, you know, a year ago, he and I sat down and talked about New England IPAs, and he was making this uh, kind of his regular double dry hot hazy IPA was Beezer, and we know Alarmist last year won uh, GABF with their gold, first gold medal and 300-plus entries. They won it with Le Juice. Well, this year, Trevor keeps it on the north side as of Saturday with uh, Beezer winning the gold in that same category with over 350 entries of different beers. So a bunch of love goes out to Trevor. But the most love I want to give right now is from my guest on this episode who took the leap, left Pipeworks. You guys remember him from my barrel-aged episode, one of the best episodes I've ever recorded. Uh, the guy's just so smart, so interesting. I love to I love to hear his stories and talk about anything beer-related and, and not beer-related. He took me out to the beer temple after we recorded uh, Mike Shalou. Uh, Mike is, started Is Was Brewing, uh, so he's concentrating on saisons and just these beautiful delicate beers with these fermentation forward thought process uh, the stuff is just going to be a, a huge hit you can find it all over uh, bottle shops and stuff in chicago uh, hopefully the distribution will spread out so more people can get their hands on it once he gets a feel for what he's doing he's brewing his beer out of the contract brewing out of mars uh, so edmar and tom let him get in their space use some five barrel fermenters you'll hear the, st- hear the stories from him but Man, he is an incredible guy to talk to. I could have him on the podcast once a month, and I think people would love it. 
but Mike Shalou, you know him as Strong Mike from uh, Pipeworks, now now is was brewing. Uh, just get your hands on some of this stuff. And like I said, afterwards he took me, got to meet Chris and the and Max and the group over at Beer Temple for the first time. It was just awesome. Place is just beautiful, and the beer selection is second to none. The tap handles, the the bottle selection, they just they carry everything. So bunch of love out to Beer Temple and then Mike Shalou, Strong Mike, now of Is Was Brewing. You're back. You're back. I got you back again (laughs) by popular demand in a a whole different situation this time, too. So it was very fitting. Yeah, welcome to my home. I've called you. Yeah, we're actually in your home, which is, you know, rare, but... We talked about it. Mars is a little, it can be a little noisy. <laughs> yeah, it's a little so crazy. Eh? It can be a little wild in there. Yeah. Uh, last time we had a conference room, very classy conference room. <laughs> yeah. So I got the uh, the revisit with, uh, hold on, I'm going to let you say your last name because I'll say like Shalou, Shalau. Like, that you know, was it. Shalau, Shalau. Yeah. Okay. So Mike Shalau. Now, formerly of Pipeworks Brewing, so you don't, you don't, you're not with Pipeworks at all in, in uh, any capacity, or a little bit. I'll a little still consulting. I, yeah, kind of. Uh, I go there about depend. The frequency depends on what they're doing, but I'll go back and taste barrels and stuff to create blends. But that's pretty much it. Um, or anything they, else. They got to call the maestro in. You know, like, they don't need to. I just like doing it. I just pi- I just pictured you and William H Macy or uh, no, not uh, Willem Dafoe and uh, and. <laughs> boondock saints with the headphones on <laughs> yeah. as you're dancing around the barrel room yep. spinning you've seen it you know i've done obviously yeah. yeah no it was a blowtorch yeah because we couldn't find water that day oh, you're right. like i'll just burn the nails let's yeah. go yeah that was i was showing off <laughs> i was pretty badass <laughs> sweet black gloves right. uh, that was like a that was a dream come true day for me i got to <laughs> i got to pull nails on barrels and drink barrel aged stuff yeah whether that be stout and watch you actually blend stuff on the spot to mess around kind of <laughs> change some stuff up yeah that's the fun part so now we're here to talk about something completely different like which is fucking awesome i'm very excited about (laughs) it so i was like i will immediately come out to your apartment and talk about your new venture here so so still helping out at pipeworks when you can but now you got your own venture yeah yeah it's called is was brewing is is it officially like is slash was yeah it is what yeah you don't uh, yeah. If you want to say the slash, you can. Man, I'm not going to say the slash, but I just want to, like, in case people want to type it or write it out yeah, or I, find it on the on the gram. I-S, well, on the gram, it's I-S-W-A-S. Okay. Which may, now, Jesus <laughs> Christ. I made, I made it very the confusing. The brand confusion is already taking oh, place. Oh, yeah. Now. Consumer befuddlement. That was a, yeah. a classic. So you guys are working sticking. with 90 barrel fermenters. Right. right. <laughs> Turning out huge batches. Right. Everyone wants 90 barrels yeah. of single strain stouts or saisons uh, I was like wait saisons. a minute this is a, I think you messed yeah. up on this one yeah it's a light one yeah I mean that's I, I saw I, I don't know if it was like a post or maybe you posted when you were leaving Pipework so I immediately was intrigued and I, and I saw the uh, the Instagram or Facebook go up for the is was and and immediately I'm like, what, what is this going to be? What is it yeah. going to be? And it was exactly what I hoped it was going to be, like right. something in this vein. So do you want to like talk a little bit about like what your your vision is right now? Yeah. So before I ever worked at Pipeworks when I was homebrewing, all I was making was like Saison's and really low ABV pale ales. That was just what I was into drinking. And it always really was. And then while at Pipeworks, I got more into like higher ABV things and tasting other people's like really... <clears throat> intense IPAs and adjuncted things that were that were popular and still are popular. Um, and then I got to a point where I was kind of falling out of love with beer. And I was at Beer Temple and I had a 
uh, Vermontois on tap. I like had this moment of like, oh, I completely forgot. This is why you got into this in the first place. It's like this, these were the things you wanted to have or you wanted to make. Um, and then good fortune and popularity kind of led to other things, you know, things that, um, that I'm very proud of and that taste great, but just weren't really an expression of who, what I, who I am as someone who wants to make things or what I like to consume. Um, so yeah, the, 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 this brewery grew out of basically out of that moment of remembering what I really, really cared about in brewing and then not really seeing a whole lot of other breweries in that space. So like I, if I wanted that beer, I, you have some off color beers, maybe some afterthought, which is still pretty small. And at that time, which was probably two years ago when I had that was, was hard, really hard to get. Um, but there weren't really any local producers making that, like the Blougy, uh, style kind of not barrel age, not mixed culture, just like a really interesting yeast handled correctly. Um, and that being the star of the show. Is that the golden right off the bat is, is these type of beers and then you want to grow into something more like, you know, maybe you get some, some barrels or some fooders or punchins. Like, is that a goal yeah. down the road too? Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, right now it's just, it's also solidifying, perfecting the recipes, uh, for the, the single strain Saccharomyces Saison's. Um, and then eventually over time, we're, we're we don't have our own space right now, so it's, you can't really, you can't put a fooder in someone else's brewery. But having built, developing some fooders and barrels and things that are meant to be blended, where a lot of the that type of stuff will come from different fermentations in wood and stainless, and the blend will be what actually makes the final product, whereas they'll probably be fermented as the same base mm-hmm. wort. Yeah, because that's that's something that uh, I think it was John probably over at Off Color that that gave me a lot of insight on just I think he always referred to it as like fermentation forward beer making. Yeah. So is that kind of encapsulates what you're what you're thinking about right now how you're feeling yeah yeah um so if you were like let's say down the road you are doing that blending like how how would that equate to like what you were doing with stouts and and murderous and things like that at pipeworks yeah um it's a different world right yeah until like very recently at pipeworks it was kind of batch in batch out style blending so we would put a batch of you know 30 barrels of jones dog into barrels and you know maybe uh, 11 to 24 months later, we'd pull that whole batch out. Um, and then it was blending it. There was more of an act of omission than like s- synthesis of different stuff together. So if a barrel didn't taste good, it didn't go into the blend, but pretty much everything else from that batch would. The last few things while I was still there full time that we put together were much more <clears throat> uh, like seeking in the blending process where I would taste things and then be like, it's missing this then because they have 500 barrels i could go and kind of find the thing i was yeah. looking for it's a long day so yeah there's a there's a scotch barrel aged smoked porter there that uh hasn't come out yet but is like kind of the the my favorite thing one of my favorite things that they, i ever blended there and that ended up being it was so it was like 26 months of this imperial smoked porter in scott like lafroig scotch barrels and Jesus. so then, yeah, which, the peatiness, which, which, which took a long time to figure the blend out because you can only really taste a handful of things before your palate gets blown out. And then you only taste a few more before you're just kind of getting drunk. <laughs> so when it comes to smoke, uh, 
is it was it's even faster. Yeah, I was gonna say that'd accelerate that timeline. Yeah, yeah. So what it ended up being was seventy five percent that like twenty six or twenty eight month old Scotch barrel aged smoked porter, twelve and a half percent about eleven year old. Uh, I think it was abduction. I can't remember. If the, uh, no, it was a another imperial porter called as you wish, and then it was twelve and a half percent six month old abduction. So it was just to bring some like youth back into it to cut some of the smoke. Some of that stuff actually brought like cherry characters out of the smokiness that it wouldn't have before. And so uh, that was a cool process of tasting something, having a vision for what you want it to taste like, and then trying to discover where to, where to pull that from, from other elements. Um, And that's more what is kind of the interesting part of blending where we always had the, the, idea that you know barrel aged jones dog is the finished product it's not barrel aged jones dog going into a barrel and then whatever happens it is it was always the idea of blending more often than not it was just that batch all tasted really good all at the same time um but with the amount of stock they've developed you can have like 28 month old jones dog yeah uh 11 month jones dog and six months jones dog all go into a blend which is much more interesting for me. I don't know what if, if everyone just wants like the sweeter, younger yeah. Jones dogs now, but like it's it's really cool to go and taste those old things, which are really cool on their own, and you really have to like age and like wood and like bourbon. But then to be able to blend them into something that is actually a greater than the sum of its parts, where it's like this twenty-eight month one tastes like this, and it's it's great on its own. This eleven-month one is great too. And then this six month one is, is young for what I want mm-hmm. out of it, but it'll add different things to it. Um, so yeah, that what I envision the blending at is was will be, will be more like that where we'll taste what's going on and say, Oh, this needs like a little bit more acidity or it needs some more of this like citrus character and we'll find barrel, find know where the barrels are that have those characters blend those together like that. So similarly, like with, uh, if you're thinking of like lambics and stuff, you know, they, they're known to use barrels that are, how, how many years old or like a cool ship type thing. Where yeah. You're, you're kind of pulling from a whole library of four year old, three year old, two year old and, and blending it together. Right. Okay. And, and with the, uh, a goal at the beginning of the blending process, probably that's the, sometimes you find things when you're blending you're like, Oh, this blend is going to do this thing. Um, like that happened a lot with, with, pipeworks barrels where it's like oh this blend is leaning heavily this way so it's gonna have to be that no matter what i want it to do um and so half responding to that and half having a goal for what you want it to be like yeah i mean I, i'm i'm throwing us like year, a year or two in the future here uh trying to trying to speed past this i should be uh <laughs> sitting back like where did where did you kind of connect with this style not like the the thought of is was but just the style in general that kind of drove you in the early homebrewing days to be doing, you know, low ABV. I know we talked about session IPAs last time when you were early in your homebrew days. Yeah. I I don't think I realized it at the time, but looking back and it's probably how much the control of fermentation you have when you're homebrewing and how when you brew saisons, you don't necessarily need it. And it's actually beneficial if you don't try to control the temperature of them, if you knock it at the right temperature. Uh, So just the fact that, the lack of ability I had to control the fermentation probably made me like saisons for as far as brewing them. 
uh, I when also, you say that, you mean like you're just not having to monitor them so closely, like if you're trying to make a West Coast IPA or something, like you yeah. want to make sure you're, you're, they're fermenting in, let's say, your carboy in your apartment uh, closet. At, you know, you want to try to keep 72 somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah, 68, but, 72. Uh-huh. Well, I mean, you still monitor it, but you don't have to control the temperature as much. So you're not panicking if it like goes up a little bit, goes down a little mm, bit. No, I mean, we we knock our beers in at a temperature that, if it ever got to that for any ales at Pipeworks, we would have dumped it. So, so we're and, starting hot and letting it go and, even higher. And just for people who wouldn't know, like when you're saying knock, like you're, you're this is like post boil, you're you're basically running it through like a plate chiller or like yep. a home brewer would drop like a you know like a mm-hmm. what do you call it a wort chiller? Yeah. Okay, so you're talking so, about that temperature specifically. Yeah. Is higher as Which, you're. It's as really you're, high. Okay. Yeah. Like how high? Like eighty degrees Fahrenheit. And what would what would like be a normal? And on uh, like for if you're doing an ale, you can like 64 to 68. Mm-hmm. Trying to cool that normal. beer down. The goal is to cool that beer down as fast as possible while going into the fermentation area, right? Before you pitch, right? Okay, yeah. I mean, some stuff now, like those kvike yeasts that people use a lot, those are, are silly. super super hot, um, but they're, they're not producing the that's just because you can more than like that's really what you should like need to do mm-hmm. with them. Whereas with the a lot of saison yeast, you need to get it hot for it to even finish fermentation. If you ferment like even a more traditional saison yeast, like the Dupont yeast, at like regular fermentation temperatures, it's just kind of flat and boring and peppery rather than like fruity. And then you don't, and sometimes it won't. It'll get stuck mid fermentation. But if you let it do its thing without controlling it, it will. It usually will reward you with something really nice. So who are you, uh, like, who are the early kind of types and styles or brands that you liked in these kind of styles you're kind of modeling now? Um, Blaugy was always, like, a huge one for me. Um, and then back in the day, it was Phantome. Um, I remember when it, when you could still find Phantomes, and it's the, 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 the one of the rare breweries where the inconsistency is charming to people. And it's like, <laughs> but you get some transcendently good beers from that place. And I don't necessarily want to produce beer like that where you don't, the consumer doesn't know what they're going to get. In fact, I definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> I feel like there's like a, a very real agreement between the producer and the consumer that if I tell you something's going to be like that, it's going to be like that. And that you, as a producer, you have the obligation to do the best you possibly can. Um, not saying that the You're Danny Phantom isn't Danny was just like, I think hey. there's just a lot of like eh, whatever which is charming if you're Belgian but <laughs> not not really what you want to be doing not Chicagoland uh yeah not you know, 68 million yeah, breweries right. just uh you know all over right um those two early on were the the big ones that I was really into I always loved Cezanne Dupont as well but uh I'm a little more into the like the fruitier end of these fermentation profiles rather than the kind of spicier end that they have yeah, and you, you you always you were using the term fruity but it's like it's not necessarily a fruited you know it's not like they're resting it on peaches or anything no. like that i mean not that they can't but they do you know they do do that stuff but, right but what you're, you're describing is just kind of some of the characteristics that pull from the yeast or yeah so it's a process where uh like the acidification is acids bond to alcohol. So it only happens if there's a certain amount of alcohol and there's a certain amount of acids and there's certain temperatures where they will do that. Um, and so that will create things like, like what one of the ones that gets created in the yeast with the yeast we use is the same thing they use to flavor juicy fruit bubble gum if you isolate oh, it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So it's like when people are like, oh, it smells like 
bubble gum or juicy mm-hmm. fruits like that's really in there bubble gum happens a little bit differently but like that juicy like kind of jackfruity kind of interesting guava mangoey thing is all from fermentation and a little bit from like the hopping that we're doing on stuff on some of these beers but um having yeast that will uh that will produce these phenolics and esters and things is not normal uh and in fact it's a flaw in most other yeasts like it's if it produces uh phenolics it's like a it's a it's described as a flaw in almost every other style of yeast or brewing, except for some German like Hef and mm. Wit and Belgian beers. Sorry, my cat is. Dude, Goober is welcome to do what he <laughs> wants with the mic stands. Okay. He's here monitoring this <laughs> thing. He's checking, making sure that we're safe. The hallway is safe. Yeah, he's he's a guardian. He is the man. <laughs> Super friendly too, yeah. unless you're a bad guy. Yeah. Um, but no, the the, the uh, I always get interested to kind of like how you fall in love with something or like that first time you remember like what maybe beer was that was the first time you had it and you were like whoa like uh in that kind of realm or style table (laughs) beer saison anything farmhouse back in that like that early era it was two phantom beers uh one that was like transcendently good which was just uh well three phantom beers actually one that was just just like the regular uh pretemps which i think is their like regular say spring saison uh then i had one that was like a, a chocolate saison that was what that like yeah it had like cacao nibs in it or something and it uh they corked and capped so i was in my room at bedroom at the time i opened the the cap and the cork started rising out of it and then just shot out of it and i was like it was a bad experience but it was um, it was like what is this yeah. like how is how is was the, that other one so good and how is this so terrible it, so you actually drank it it was just i drank the recipe uh, it was like a yeasty mess yeah. it was, it was yeah. not I, and and this wasn't before any of those rain websites, but I had this huge like notebook. I, I wasn't really into doing it on Beer Advocate. I was just doing it for right. myself. Um, and I would like I took notes, and I think that one was was not uh, not <laughs> something I. It I, was a DDB well, review. It was but, like. <laughs> but it was it was right. But it was more intriguing to me than something that was you know predictable, I guess. Uh, and then there was one called Green Ghost. I think yes. or Ghost, which was which yeah. had which was green, and it was the first time I'd seen something like that. And it was super interesting. And before, like, people were making purple beers and green beers. <laughs> yeah, and like long that. before there was passion, dragon fruit, everything. <laughs> right, haterades. Hot, yeah, I uh, love that beer. Yeah. I do love that I don't beer. Think I've, I've never had it. refreshing. Any. Yeah, they do what they do well. Um, but, yeah, so those were, like, three big ones. Um, anyway, I was, I was working at Westlake View Liquors where they had all of, of this course. stuff. So, yeah. Imagine uh, finding that laying around at your local liquor store now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there's some out there on some dusty shelf somewhere. Um, actually, Gabe, who's a delivery driver, was uh, at Pipeworks every once in a while to go up to Wisconsin, and he'll find like Phantom sitting on the shelf for like seven ninety nine some places. Go up to no Wisconsin. Yeah, um, but yeah, those those were like, and it was things that I didn't know how they were getting flavors, the flavors they were getting out of it. This was before I knew that much about mixed culture brewing or like how any of that stuff could impact flavor profile but it was clearly not hops it was something that was interesting mm-hmm. to me whereas right not that you can't not that there isn't a plethora of hops and different flavor profiles you can get from hops but they all hit you in a similar way to me we're like okay that's hop character and then it's i'm get i get really into like dissecting things and figuring out how they work and when you know like oh they just added this hop to it and then it it was good that's less interesting to me to be like oh they know they added you know this yeast they had to ferment at this temperature. They had to do it for this long. Like then they had to pitch this yeast into it. Then it was in this barrel. Like 
that's more that was more interesting to me um even back then and so uh yeah that was those 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 shelton brother books safe stuff. to say phantom got you yeah yeah I, you know i didn't even realize it until now how formative that was uh back then so what do you do from there though once you once you figure that out and you like intrigued by it and then you know like you said you had like your journal type thing that you were keeping yeah. like how do you go find more of that you know like how, how are you exploring were you finding like oh i'm trying some stuff that maybe is labeled similarly or or described similarly on a bottle or something, but then it's fallen short of the thing that you had that kind of sparked this. Yeah, I mean, I started trying to make them, and I would just go and get, like, Saison yeast, which was, I don't even remember which strain it was, uh-huh. but I would just be like, I want to make that, and be like, this isn't it. What's going on? Mm-hmm. trying to, like, iterate from there and look stuff up. Um, and then, yeah, trying pretty much everything that was in that it was basically just an area of belgium on a shelf at west lakeview okay i would okay. go whenever i get paid like i would buy some something else off of it where it was like cantillon was on the shelves and they had drifontine and charbis creek just sitting on the shelf for like 20 bucks uh then there was like a bunch of weird de proof stuff that was really good about that some of it that wasn't a bunch of Duranc stuff that was amazing you're just uh, taking it all in. Just yeah. Like just, and, and sponge it. Tara's Bulbo, which is one of my favorite beers of all time, just would be on the shelf there all the time. Uh-huh. Um, and like that, I talked to Chris Quinn a lot about how he's like, styles are dying. And I'm like, no, they aren't. There's more beer than ever. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, you just have to go to people's tap rooms. You're getting too. aggressive now. All right. That's cool. <laughs> okay. Um, What's Chris, who's Chris Quinn? Do I know Chris from from the Beer Temple? From the Beer Temple, okay. Uh, he Shout always, out to Chris. It's mostly just like he's like, you can't get a good nut brown ale anymore. It's like, yeah, it's fine. yeah, no, it's he's right. But yeah, he's, no, he's totally right. Yes. And like nobody's making it. Yeah, and and when you when they don't have Terrace Boba or Blaugy in stock at places, I can like, well, I want to drink that. Like, what am I gonna do? So part of this is like, I want to drink these beers all the time. That's, Which isn't the best reason to start a business, but it's a it's not a the worst it's one. It's working out for some people though. It's <laughs> yeah. really it really is. Talk to well, more beer people. You know, guys that own breweries now. It's like a lot of it stemmed from that. Well, it know? also used to be like the only story of why a brewery opened is that someone was a home brewer and they really believed in like the thing they were making and wanted to get beer That's that they point. couldn't get. That used to be the only, and then they opened these small breweries and had no expectations of expanding a million a times, and, right? Uh, because they loved it and they wanted shoestring to have budget. The, yeah, and they wanted yeah. to have the beer. Uh, and I think that that's probably going to be more the norm of breweries opening from now forward than, or at least successful ones than these thoughts it was of like, less. Hey, this is a good industry. I'm going to open one of these things. You right. Know? Like we'll find somebody to brew the beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you find a lot of breweries that don't really have a specific perspective. And that was part of the fun when I was getting into this is that like, Oh, this brewery does this. Not necessarily specific styles, but mm-hmm. like this is their perspective and their, their point of view of how they make beer and why they make beer. And, that still, that definitely still exists, um, but it is m- much less the rule than the exception, as it was the rule back then that someone had of something to say, so they started a brewery to make beers that they f- felt expressed what they wanted to say. Um, now you see a lot of breweries that are making fantastic beer, but it's just like I don't know what, how you're different than another brewery. There's That's a lot of these like can... really well-rounded breweries that can do everything well, and totally. maybe they don't. Maybe they don't have the one giant hit, but they have like, you know, they can spray the lager, the sour, the, you know, all the way, all the way out to the heavy stouts and all that stuff. So it's like, you see those places and they're surviving, they look pretty good, but then you have like these very focused breweries that are, 
some are small, some are just big, some are following like what's going on right now, trends, and people like, think about like Angry Chair out in Tampa. It's like they are known for a big old thick stout, and, right? And a little bit for like the big uh, Berliner Weisses that have that Florida kind of tinge to them with the lactose and vanilla and that. But a lot of those breweries, like I've not a, don't have a problem with, but I don't understand. Like they make these styles of beer, and then when you talk to the people producing them, they're like, oh well, we have to make it because like that's what the people want. It's like that's so depressing to me that it's a little crazy, the majority right? of what your brewery makes or what they're known for are things that you don't even like, and that that made me sad. <laughs> and maybe they brewery. liked them at the at the time. And yeah, then they, and they become this thing. It's like you know, like if you're a musician and you have a hit song, and then you make forty more albums, and right? Then everybody's like, just play the one song, like, yeah, right? You're know, like, God. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, but then there's also people like, you know, Edwin McCain who sang that song, I'll yeah, Be. Yeah. I saw an interview with him where he's guy. like, people are like, don't you hate that song? He's like, no, I don't hate that song. It's like, hating, my life. It's like hating the lottery ticket that won you the lottery. Like, so. Makes uh, sense. Yeah. Some people, like, that's a good perspective to have. But, like, I, there's a lot of people talking about how they, they're the beers that people loved them for, they didn't even like. And there's just a weird disconnect there for me. Because it used to always be, we brew what we like. Now, that isn't 100% the way you should go either. You should connect to the person who's actually buying your beer and meet them somewhere in the middle. But it seems to me it had swung too far to we make hazy IPAs because the kids like them. Yeah, I, I had a con- – no, I didn't have a conversation. I was listening to a conversation a couple years ago with uh, uh, those guys, uh, Craig and Ryan, that do the ABV Chicago podcast. I yeah. think they had Chris on, uh, Betts from Transient, and they were out there. Uh, at their place, and I think he he mentioned something about like he wasn't he wasn't so specific about it, but basically it kind of boiled down to, um, you know, juice is loose helps me do my fooder program, you know, like totally. to, you know, like and that beer at one time I'm sure he loved brewing it, it's, right, right. you know, and like it was probably like whoa I made a pretty badass hazy IPA, and then as the years go on it's like well now it's selling they want you to brew it over and over and over again totally got to meet that demand but then now it helps him bring in fooders and helps him bring in you know like barrels for you know do punchings and and do stuff that he has that huge passion for right and that's part of the difference between being a professional and being an amateur is that you sometimes you just you have to work you know you have to make the thing that keeps the business going because if you're not a functioning business then you don't get to pursue your passion projects kind of move shit through the lines right but but on the flip side of that, you, when you, someone is really passionate about the things they're making like that, you can taste that coming through beers. Like if, I don't know if you've ever talked to Jude at Hot Butcher, but oh, I've never met Jude's someone a wordsmith, who is who's more excited and more insightful and can, like to the and like accurate about the way he talks about hops. And like I'm, I've never been as excited about hops as he has. Yeah. And so like the, the things he they're able to get out of hops, I think stems directly from the fact that he legitimately loves combining those things. It, it's kind of boring to me because I don't, I don't have the, <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I don't want to get, I, totally I, I don't have the drive to get as deep as him into what's going on. Yeah. When Pipeworks did a collaboration with them, like we were looking over and like the sheets of what oils are in what hops we were using. And he was like, like just to going me, deep. Yeah, Professor like, Jude. Right. It's them. like to me, it just kind of washes over me. I'm like, okay, I get it. But I don't, I wasn't able to draw as direct a line of, like these compounds, this oil meat leading to this flavor in the beer. Cause I, I didn't, I don't see it as like what as much, uh, when I look at those things and taste the beers, but he has a very clear vision and understanding what, what all that is. They just locked you in the barrel room. You weren't allowed, you weren't allowed to play with the hops. <laughs> uh, no. I mean, I, I did buy all the, the you hops. Did. I wrote, say, you you were the raw materials. Wrote, wrote raw, gatherer. I wrote, wrote a good amount of those recipes, but I, I wasn't as astute and 
getting the differences between a lot of that stuff. So I seis- could definitely seismic positivity. Was that the yeah name of that beer? Yeah. yeah, that was uh, that's total Jude kind of thing too. He is like the seismic. He has seismic positivity yeah, around yeah. him at all times. I, I think Kate named that one, but it was perfectly uh-huh. fitting it to like did what, really well what for that, that was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like when I mean, you can see, cause his passion for that aspect of it carries through to the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I feel like you can see when people are like, just like mercenary almost when they're really good at something, but they don't have the same passion for it. They make a yeah. really good thing, but it's just like, I don't, it's just something that like, it's not, it's not hot butcher or it's not someone who is really, really cares about that type of thing. I think that explains a lot of the success they've had in the Chicago market with the IPAs. I mean, yeah. they'd be an easy target from the outside looking in during this context of conversation to be like, well, that's all they do, you know, but it's all they do because that's what they want to do. Super well. It's, I think that's fine. If you, if you do one thing, do that one thing, but because you want to do it, you right. know, that I, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because oh, totally, because I mean, most people have nothing but love for what Hot Butcher is doing, but you're, you're going to get the internet's fodder and stuff like, well, they only make one beer and they just change the hops and you know, whatever it is. But it's like, they're so passionate. And Justin too, you know, Justin, who's brewing most of the beer now and Jude and Jeremiah both have that huge passion for it. And Jude also likes to throw that right on, right on, right on, man. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I imagine looking over those oil sheets, uh, the hop stuff, there was a lot of write-ons there. Yeah. I love that guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Action. Again, the positivity and the passion. Uh, ask Next time you see Jude, be like, hey, did you and Joe ever do karaoke uh, <laughs> after, after a share at microphone? <laughs> he got so mad, they threw us off the stage. What were you guys singing? Uh, we did Stand By Me. Oh, wow. Uh, it was a beautiful rendition. Why did they throw you they off the hur- stage? They, didn't th- they hurried us up. Jude was convinced they hurried us off the stage. Why would they do that? He's also convinced that we were the best singers that were there that of night. Of course. I'm not sure if he was right about that, but... Uh, I'm sure. I wasn't there, but I'm sure did a stirring right. rendition of it. I think, like, <laughs> Jeff from uh, uh, from Narrow Gauge was there, and, like, the Weldworks guys were in for Microphones Fest uh-huh. this past year. And somehow I ended up on stage at 2 o'clock in the morning or so with Jude singing, somehow, yeah. singing karaoke. <laughs> alcohol i think so yeah that's what it was (laughs) that's what it was yeah yeah it was good it was good night but no that theory of like uh you can do one thing or you know because then that when you move down that timeline it's like you're getting in that stage that you want to get like let's say a tap room or a tasting room it's like then then the public expects you to have a cream ale and a ipa like you can't just say all right well all i got here is saisons or all i got is heavy stouts you know that's that's one thing. So, I mean, do you have to be passionate about all of those? These are all philosophical and deep questions to ask I, yourself. I think to make good versions, uh-huh. to make to make exceptional versions, you do. Uh, you can make technically great versions of anything by following rote guidelines. Um, but to make something that's like inspired and that is un- like un- unique in a way that is positive you kind of have to have some sort of unique love for whatever it is you're doing. It's kind of that difference in like, uh, you know, you're learning scales on a guitar and you can play along to a solo, you know, right. but, but then there's like Steve Ray Vaughn. You know, right. Totally. Just blacks out and just wherever, wherever his hands take them, there yeah. it goes. I mean, I, I actually went to college for music. And so that's like a really good example of, there are so many people there who are so technically capable of playing just, their instrument. And like, they're so good. Like I was not, I wasn't as good as most of these kids. I didn't get a performance degree. But when you see these performance majors, like actually my business partner, Dylan was a trumpet performance major and he's amazing at the trumpet. But by the end of the day, he just didn't want to do it and didn't like care enough about it after he graduated to pursue it. And it had been like burned out of him. And then you see these kids that like 
are just so much better than you because they're so much more passionate about it and they're just talented. Like some people are just straight up more talented than, than, than you are. Like in anything else, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's, there's something different about those people, not necessarily from birth, but from the way they're going to approach the thing they're doing because it's, it's a different reason than just like, I have to make this thing. It's like, I have to make this thing. So those are two different like needs to be met. And when one, one's more intrinsic and one's more extrinsic where the intrinsic one, I think is always going to lead to at least a more interesting expression of whatever the thing is you're producing. You end up at that like crossroads and that, that that's kind of drive meets talent meets, you know, meets passion for, for something. And yeah. that, that's when you get something really special. Somebody that has that kind of, you know, drive and grit and grind, do things along with some talent to go back it up and then right. nothing but passion for that thing. And I think when you have that, you have a vision of what you want to make. There's a, like a David Lynch has this idea that when he's making a movie, the movie's finished in another room. He just can't like get into the room yet and he can't see what's in the room, but it's done and it's finished. And that's like an, an internal thing that he has a metric of where it's like, oh, I'm in the room now. The movie's done and it's, it's to the point where it's supposed to be. I feel like if you're really passionate about something you're making, then that's, at least for me, that's how it is. Where if I taste these saisons, like, this is a really good beer, but is it what this is? Was it the thing that I'm actually in my mind's eye or in my mind's palate or whatever you want to call it? And, like, if you if you aren't passionate about that, that thing doesn't show up. It's like that inspiration part of it, I guess. And I know we brought up Mike Thorpe already. I mean, he's, yeah. he's obviously a guy who's passionate about a specific type of beer, you he's know. great at it. And it's showing, you know, and people are starting to figure it out. You know, you're seeing it on more shelves and, and more people posting about it and talking about it. Because yeah. unfortunately, that's the world we live in. It's about <laughs> posting and, and sharing and all that stuff. So, But it's good to see that style. And when I saw you kind of making this move here, I kind of connected you to that but i know it's not the same exact thing uh it's like siblings is, but not the same thing right it's uh, so i mean you might go in a little deeper on like what what you what you're churning out what you've put out already you put two bottles out right you've so, had two bottles so in the market two batches of of beer out four different like skews i guess so what we've been doing is we make uh a clean fermentation with a single strain of like eccentric for lack of a better word belgian saison yeast uh, and then during packaging, while we're at, when we're halfway through the batch, we'll pitch a blend of Britannomyces into it. So the first half of the batch is just going to be an expression of that beer as it was. And then the, the second half of the batch will be will evolve and change over time with the Britannomyces in it. And part of the idea is that like when we're talking about two years in the future, when we have barrels to blend in stock like that, that that'll be like if you hold on to that for a couple of years or we're holding some back too. So release that and be like, this is like what it's going to be over time. So you can taste the base beer. You can taste like the, the evolution of it uh, from the same batch. Would this be considered like bottle conditioning then? Yeah. yeah everything we're doing is bottle, bottle conditioned. Condition. I think that you, you can't fully get what the saisons that I'm, I'm inspired by without bottle conditioning them. So what is a, what you described as a, uh, I think you said wacky Belgian yeast or something. Some, eccentric. You used it, eccentric. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's better than what I said. Um, so like explain to people why that, why you would describe it as that, that uh, yeast strain it, in particular. Is this one yeast strain you're going to be working with? I mean, is this. It's going to be the base for like all the, the Saison that we make, at least for the most part. We might branch out into other stuff, but the, the, the one we're using now is, is it's an inspiring yeast to me where 
so the beer we're drinking right now, Bourgeois Daydream, which is only 3.2% alcohol, is much less of like the mango and passion fruit and the other stuff because there's not as much alcohol for the acids to bind to to make those components. But it still has a super interesting, like slightly spicy, like white flowers, uh, like uh, just floral uh, components to it that the same yeast is producing just at a different abv and then when we do this thing at like around five percent it gets these cool bangos things so oh really yeah interested yeah <laughs> so um, when you're when you're talking about four different skews or like are you brewing just a similar wort every time using a similar grain bill every time are you just tweaking bit by bit or are you kind of like this is the grain bill that we're doing and we're kind of letting the fermentation do the the rest of it so for the first two they were the same grain bill uh, there's another one in fermentation right now. That's exactly that's the same grain bill as well. But we've changed the water profile a couple different times, trying to get that where we want it. And the and then we dry hopped one batch, and one batch we fermented with peaches, and then also pitched a, a Brett B into. Um, so that one just got packaged. That was tasting great. When you're fermenting with peaches, I'm like, oh, I just shoot all over the place. I hear these things. I'm like, wait, I have to ask them this before we move on. So is that literally like you're just putting in the tanks with peaches? Yeah. So we we got like fresh whole peaches from McClug Farms. Uh, Over the course of about five days, we would go through all of them and test them for like if they were actually ripe. Sometimes they were underripe. And Mm -hmm. so they, we didn't use those ones. We'd wait the next day. We would like cut them up, take the pit out, and then I would puree them and add them to the fermenter. Okay. Um, and before we added the peaches, uh, Cooper's we, even using the tail now. <laughs> we pitched some, uh, a specific strain of Britannomyces bruxellensis in it. Okay. This one's known for like having really, uh, like kind of like Riesling and Pinot Gris characteristics, uh, early in its life. And then over time it develops a little bit more like kind of light complex funkiness. And so the idea of, t- the idea of this series of beers, um, is to pair, yeasts or bacterias with fruit to bring out different expressions of the fruit so the idea of this one is that early on it will taste more like peach juice and then over the time in the bottle it will end up going more towards the flesh and like kind of the funkiness of the skin Um, we also didn't wash them at all so when we put the whole thing in their skin and also there's some wild yeast and bacteria that got in there that uh, affect the beer as well jumps in the fermentation party yeah all right it's also really fun to use fruit the next one we're doing is is a uh, melons and a different brett b but to use fruit that one of the main characteristics of it is that it tastes like sugar that's are sweet and then fermenting all the sugar out so you're like what does this taste like when there's no sugar to back it up so the melon one is getting incredibly like funky and musky as well as really really floral really uh, because like when you take the the sugar out of like a we use two different melons, one that's a petite gris-style cantaloupe that's grown in Michigan, and one that's called canary melon. The petite gris is kind of funky and floral, and the canary melon's like really floral. Um, and so when you take the, the sugar out of it, the main thing you get is these aromatics of of fruit. And we use like a more aggressive Brett B that's kind of funkier, so you get like the, the muskiness of the melon as well. Okay. And the, neither of these are necessarily like sour. They're like meant to be somewhere close to the pH of what the fruit is. Oh, so the the peach is like three point six or seven somewhere in there, and the melon's actually above four, which is atypical for like a mixed culture of bread beers. <laughs> so what are you calling? Uh, what are you calling these beers style wise? I mean, are you labeling them as farmhouse or saisons? Those well, we're not going to use farmhouse because we're not in, in a, a farmhouse. We're, yeah, we're in. <laughs> That's crazy. We're in Bridgeport in yeah. an industrial 
area on a street called iron yeah and like it <laughs> because of the reverence i have for this style i don't want to upset anyone who's doing really good jobs of it, who has their specific view that was of a story what not that long ago somebody was complaining about people yeah using the farm maybe it was and, down in ava maybe it was scratch was complaining about i think it was and, and rightfully so like uh that's a different thing i think but saison isn't necessarily there's isn't a good term which is part of the fun of getting into this is that developing a vocabulary to describe what these beers are to people who lump a bunch of things into the farmhouse saison category that really aren't it gets done yeah i I think there's a lot of disservice a a lot of service and then a lot of disservice done in that farmhouse ales book where they're describing as being tart it's like well if you just use these yeasts and you don't mess with them the ph gets lower than most ale yeast so that could be it you don't have to make this rippingly sour for it to be a farmhouse ale so uh, when some people have a farmhouse and they equate it to sour, and then they go, "Why isn't this sour?" Right. You know, when they have it, like, well, that's the, like if you if somebody labeled that a farmhouse type ale and handed it to them, like, well, it doesn't have right. any sour to me. Yeah, and I've, I've listened to many people who are producing these types of beers talk about it, and they all have like relatively different, but somewhat similar opinions of like you can just call these things ales, or if you're not in a farmhouse, not a farmhouse style ale. Like, what does that? Do? So. I want to be reverent to those people who are, you know, living on a farm or using all, you know, yeah. locally sourced ingredients, which we're not doing for everything. Um, this is, the goal is to be a blend of like that kind of romantic idea of like, you know, we picked this off the tree of the day and put it in there. And the fact that modern brewing has gotten to a place where you can use ingredients from Germany that are better than the things you can get close by here, or uh, you can control the pH of things like it's not I'm not trying to remove all of the the good parts of modern brewing from production of these things you want to use those to create something that is like that is the best possible like beer you can make so brew day process wise I mean it's not that much different than what a normal brew day would be for whoever going you know making gone away IPA over at half acre like obviously scale is different yeah. and, and brew house hot side and all that's different but yeah but I mean, what what are some of the the tweaks and changes that go into a style? Like, we're drinking a what you're calling it a table beer, right? I mean, it's, yeah. Is that a second runnings type thing, or is it just it, to it, you is that lower ABV, not really, you know, process, uh, of, you know, the classic term of table beer being like low, lower ABV, mm-hmm. um, and it's so the way we brewed this one was with high gravity style brewing, so we only mashed once, boiled wort once. And then we pH and like salt adjusted just water and added that when we knocked out. So uh, the it's the goal was always to make a 3.2% beer. And it's not just we took some other recipe and watered it down. It was specifically written to do that process. Um, it just was easier on the brew day. There's no need to mash a tiny amount for two separate things and boil them together. Yeah. Super low. I mean, it goes in at like seven Play-Doh, which is where some some beers finish. <laughs> so, uh, and it finishes below like a half a Play-Doh. So it was easy, it was better to make a relatively normal strength beer than water it back. Incredibly go. dry, just like yeah. you want to keep going back to it. And I'm upset. I'm empty now. Like <laughs> I went a little too hard on it. Um, yeah, it's it's that that style is something that I mean how. How excited are you to kind of like introduce some people to this style? Because some of these people is was might be their first run at it. You know? <laughs> I mean, I, that'd be great. I, I, I'm really excited. I'm really happy with the beer too. Um, you know, and it was a 
introducing people to style. I hope I hope people drink more of them. Like, yeah, it's no, all, I mean, but you're gonna have some people that got into it on the IPA side of things and the hazy thing, especially. You're gonna have some new consumers, and they're gonna go to Beer Temple. I think you said you had beer at Beer Temple right off the yeah. bat, right? So that was your launch party. What the 14th? I think uh, September. Yeah. So, so we're, uh, we're like no, we, 15 days out somewhere. Like that. It was like middle of middle of September. Am I wrong about that? that no, we, we launched the month before that. Okay, but you had like a thing at, put it, yeah, at put Beer it, Temple. Yeah, okay. tap to the second batch. Of okay. That's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, whenever I talk to my friends, whether they're in or not in brewing, and and specifically ones who don't know beer very well, what they describe, what they want is something that's light, lower in alcohol, uh, relatively approachable. Like, I, And that's what the goal of making all this stuff is, to have something that, you know, my dad could drink and just not know what it was and really enjoy, or someone who you know, has rated a thousand things on untapped or has waited in every line can drink and find pleasure in that as well, that there's sufficient complexity and sufficient approachability uh, and sufficient drinkability. And so there, there was a period of time in craft brewing where doing, and this is always going to be the case. It always has been where doing more was the thing that got you attention. And I think that as consumer, more people, more consumers have come into craft beer, I think a good chunk of them, not all of them necessarily have gotten more and more educated about what brewing is, what it like the purpose is, and then what they like. And so it's easy to, to default to, I like the thing that is more. That's what I like. I like double yeah. IPAs. But if you drink enough of that stuff over time, sometimes you realize a good chunk of people realize I like things that are this, this point, not necessarily less, but like a specific point on that balance of, things i don't know that was really wordy and in indescriptible <laughs> we all seem to evolve in certain ways in the in the world and not everybody takes the same path but it's you know you kind of you get into that there was like even the beer industry itself was you know the ibus and then the, you know the bitterness and you wanted to do that and then now obviously murkier hazier right higher abv stuff thicker stuff thinner right. stuff you know you go through that kind of phase that's but uh now hopefully more people will spend some time in this in this area you yeah. know this kind of refreshing low abv drier uh i don't know just complex to me I, mean, it's, I think of a good chunk of the consumers that have started drinking craft beer in the last five years continue to drink craft beer as they grow as they age older it's almost a necessity that the beer gets drier and lower ABV um, because you can't be like, I'm I'm not that old, but I'm too old to drink too many Imperial stouts. (laughs) Like you're not doing three a night. No, no, I I can't like, and physically I can't. Yeah. So I want to have a couple of beers and enjoy them. And I think I've heard that kind of thing from more people than not. Um, and I think Chicago does a really good job providing a lot of those experiences for people too. It's not like, I'm not trying to say like, I'm the, I'm championing no. this for people. Especially the city itself. I mean, no. you look at, you look at off color, dovetail, metropolitan, like these yeah. are all places you can go drink some refreshing beer right. and have a few of them and not leave yeah. like forgetting your, your name. So, and something I, I like that I think isn't as talked about anymore is beer that tastes like beer, like the ingredients <laughs> of beer. It yeah. tastes like that or fermentation, which I have no problem with things that taste wacky or mm-hmm. taste like things you can't make with normal brewing vessels. But like, I really love things that taste like beer. 
like I love lagers and I love, I think Saison's taste like what grain and water and fermentation yes. and hops taste it's like. Which some is, of his parts. Which, yeah, like. which is, uh, if we start making things, if when people just make things that taste like orange juice or cake or stuff, that's cool. It's like, fun. I can just have orange juice though. <laughs> like I can't, there's nothing else that tastes like a Saison. But will it smashed? Uh, no, but it's you know it's don't you, I, I'm the first person to love it. People like just f- go nuts, go totally. play you know throw candy bars in there, all that. I I, mean, I was, I'll try them, I'll try them all. <laughs> it's like you don't want to drink a whole one. Yeah. <laughs> You're just kind of like I like this, it's very I'm, good. I, I, in theory, I'm all for people throwing whatever they want into whatever beer, but when I really sit down and look like as like a consumer, personal consumer, I have no interest in people putting finished products into beer so like putting another product putting cake or putting like whole oreos like it's funny or putting pizza or or chicken or whatever people are doing but it's like i have like it it, all of my views of brewing aside as someone who's just trying to consume these beers like i have no desire to have it and uh i saw i think that's part of why i I wanted I, i it was time for me to like move out out of my position of writing recipes at Pipeworks is that like, I, I literally could not figure out why we, why someone would want that. People do want it. And it's like a, it's a oh, pursuit yeah. you should go after. It's an, it's a thing to do. But like me personally, I couldn't bring my, like get myself to a point of understanding. And therefore, like we were talking about earlier, I don't think I could have made a good version of that for the people who want to drink that. And then I'm like, why am I, I shouldn't be the one doing this. And there's so many talented people there that are more capable of that than me that like I almost felt like I was in the way at a certain point where I'll be arguing about stuff with people. And then like, like, why am I even bothering to argue this? Like they're, they're right. Uh, this, now it's just me versus like the good idea. Right. And I like, didn't want to be the in vision? that vision. What's the vision of the, as a whole? Where do we want to go? Right. This is the focus. Well, if that focus and your focus don't match up, then, yeah. you know, and Piper's put weirder stuff into oh, yeah. the, into beers than pretty much anyone for a while there long time uh, the, yeah. the abduction series had all kinds of you know and still now yeah ginger snaps right and, you know truffle um, everything mint well, but that was also a thing where our gin the, the truffle abductions and the ginger snap abductions had ginger or they had cacao nibs and that fruit it didn't actually have truffles in it um which when i look at that stuff that's marketing to me like i don't think you're you're no longer trying to create the, the best flavor through the process of brewing you're trying to get people to pay attention to what you're doing, which I totally understand, but it's just not something I'm, I'm attracted to as a person who consumes it or a person who produces it. Yeah, um, it's, it's another part of the world that it seems so counterintuitive when you meet the people of the world, uh, the people that are starting breweries and owning and putting in like the grind and the hard work for years. And then now the business side, which is a real thing, yeah. I mean, it's it's necessary, you know, the marketing and that it's like, I couldn't think of like my, my common thought of so many, you know, if I can, you know, just put together all the brewers and owners and things that I've met and then never would look at these guys like you guys should be in charge of marketing too. Like, <laughs> right. you know, like if you're looking at common day marketing and successful marketing as, as what it is today, you know, with social media and that it's like those two things seem like so not together at right. all. Right, it's like, like oil and water. Uh-huh. Just the humility enough. and the, uh, you know, the kind of just secluded nature and mentality of some of the brewers and that. It's like, I just want to do my job and, you know, make great beer and go home. And then, right. then well, the rest of it's like these sparkles and kittens and rainbows. And, you know. right. Well, then the nature of the job a lot of times is doing all of those things. 
So like having being a a master of at least making their product, but also a jack of a, a lot of trades. Um, and that's how you can like function in a small brewery. So you don't, there's not a lot, not as much money as people think, I think in operating a brewery. Um, that's also part of what, what we're doing at Mars is figuring out what is the actual size of the market for the beers that we can really say we believe in these. And then you're not secure. multimillionaires. No, I think no. Uh, somebody told me the wrong thing. No, <laughs> it's yeah. I don't think people get that yet. I don't think it's reached enough ears and, and had enough conversations between consumer and right. and the manufacturing side of it to understand that like we are not getting rich off you right now. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, and maybe somewhere somebody is. I don't know. But I'm sure so some people are, but the I, common is not. Right. So. Um, and then like it, it, un, you understand why people sell their brewery for, you know, How $50 many? million, yeah. dollars, right? What Ballast Point grab? A right. billion? A billion <laughs> dollars. That's a crazy one. Uh, oh, that habanero sculpting. Get it out <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, that's what did it for uh-huh. him. Uh, but, I mean, what, what we're trying to do is figure out what is the actual size of the market for what we really believe in and then structuring the brewery financially around that more than it is like, well, people will give us this much money if we go out and ask for it, but then we have to make this much amount of beer. It's like, well... Now you put yourself in a position where you're, you you do have to make things that you might not necessarily believe in if that you think that they're gonna sell better. That modern economy thought process of like your Apple and Tesla, it's like you have to grow exponentially every right. quarter. Like, right? What, when, when when is there like a stasis? When is there like a? Yeah, you have to be an owner operator for there to be a stasis. You yeah. can't want to do anything else, and so you have to continually, you know. Either find ways to produce more revenue so you can give your employees raises and stay relevant with what's going on in the world. But it's you, most breweries aren't publicly traded companies. So you don't have the same hold in nature to, you know, 10 X or I mean, yeah. but then when you go to, when you go to like a private equity, then you'd kind of do have to 10 X. They have a sunset kind of thing going on. I think the sunset thing going on, that's a very technical term. They have sunsets <laughs> on those types of assets. Um, Man, look at you you're going deep right now. Are you a music guy? You're, yeah, that was a business minor. You're Brad, you're, uh, what's his name? Jesus, uh, Bradley Cooper. No, what's that? Uh, Wall Street? No, I'm on. <laughs> Limitless. Yeah, there it is. Limitless. That was I am a, on a lot of the drugs. The one we took the sweet pill. Yeah. And made him do everything cool. That's what's in this beer. Yeah, right. Uh, but no, like, so figuring out how to structure a business so you can actually pursue, so I, you can actually, at least in my case, pursue the thing that you believe in. Uh, I mean, it's probably not, it's not the most intelligent financial decision but i know it's going to make me enjoy my life more so if you can balance both can't pay for that yeah right mm-hmm. right and like when i there's a certain amount of time at pipeworks where i had a fantastic job you know I, people would love to have that job but i wasn't that excited about it anymore because i'd been doing it for so long and it wasn't really truly what an expression of myself anymore which is kind of selfish at the end of the day but yeah you know, i want I, you're you know, a dick I, yeah i'm a selfish dude uh, but no, I like, I mean, that's the same, like I went to music school. That's a selfish, stupid decision too, but it's in the pursuit of something that you, that's different than just what you get paid. It's to create something that you believe in. So for you, like how, how long did it take you to kind of come to grips with that for yourself? Like, were you fighting yourself for a little while? Just like, nah, nah, you're, you're, you got a great job. doesn't matter. You'll give it over. Like you're, at, in, you're just pipe. in a rut. Yeah. Um, like, did it yeah. take a while for you to convince yourself to actually do this? I think yeah. I, kn- I knew it earlier than I like admitted to myself. Of course. Uh, there's also like a lot of other people there where uh, you don't want to let them down and you don't want to like, and, and, and I'm by no means trying to say that I was the person who wrote all the recipes at Pipeworks. In fact, the best things came out of the fact that it was a very 
flat process of anyone could suggest an idea. I was more of an editor than I was just the, mm-hmm. the head writer or the, or the writer. Um, mo- most of the great things that are coming out of there now are all Joe Gabavi and Kate Rankin and people who worked there now. So you so, got a hell of a team over there. That's, right. Uh... And so I'm by no means trying to say that I was the person doing all of it, but, um, ultimately I had like the final edit on things and, uh, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, you were I, just, I just explaining like, hey, like, like you know, you're not saying like just because, you know I left and it was like a big shot at the, for them, you know, right, like, right. Oh man, what are they going to do without Mike? And know? it wasn't like I wasn't allowed to pursue things that I like did, was passionate about. We made a table beer there with dark matter for a party that was like I loved that. We made a Belgian <laughs> golden ale with with spelt, which was like a stupid thing to do for the the style of brewing that goes on there, but it was delicious. <laughs> so I, I got to do a lot of things that I, and, and the barrels were really fun. So I'm not saying that Obviously. I begrudge anything about being there, but, uh, it was just time for someone else to, to have more of the final edit on things. Yeah. I guess I was just kind of looking at your mindset. Like how long did it take you to, to, to kind of like from thought process of like, man, I should probably, uh, is, is this the time for me to take a, I don't know, I don't want to say risk or a gamble or, or jump or, it's probably like a full a year between the time that I thought I wanted to do it and actually did it, and it was about six months between I told them I was going to and I left. Mm. Um, but they, they were like, yeah, right. You're not going. You're not doing anything. They're, no, they were super like, supportive. Do it. He's going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> they were super supportive of it. Um, I and when I described what I was going to do, it is not anything that they do currently, and not something that was ever talked about being part of the future. Um, so it wasn't like, I'm like, I'm leaving to make, you know, reptile Lord and, uh, horse versus, yeah. you know, reptile so. Lord would be great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, horse, horse versus, I don't know, Taekwondo. I don't know. I right. don't know what to... And it was a lot of stuff that like just didn't make sense to subject other people to there, you know, like if I, just because I wanted to make bottle conditioned saisons, uh, doesn't mean that I should now try to convince them to make 30 barrels of a, <laughs> of a bottle condition Saison. Like it's just, that would be so that would be really selfish and stupid, but it was the thing that was going to fulfill me. So oh, come on, we got the tanks for it guys. Let's try this thing. <laughs> right. Right. So who do you have to have that conversation with? Is it like, you said like you and Kate talking or you got to go to talk to Garrett and be, you know, uh, like, like, Hey, doing uh, this, was it weird? Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like great. Let's do it. It yeah. was like it was. There's a little bit of like. I mean, I've worked there. For, you for, sure you want to do this? <laughs> right. Uh, no, I mean, part of it was that like I need. I've worked there for seven years. It was the only real job I'd ever had. I started as an intern. Like, it was like basically my whole adult life, I had worked at Pipeworks, and I was part of that growth process. And part there's part of me that needs to know if I if I could do it. Like, because I was. I helped, but I didn't, I was by no means the driving factor that I was Garrett. Uh, and part of me needed to know if I could do it. Um, and that's part of the conversation I have with Garrett because he understands that, um, is figuring out like, I have this thing I believe in. I have these beliefs about how I can, how one should approach this. Uh, it's probably the worst time in the world to try to open a brewery <laughs> in Chicago, <laughs> but I need, but I need to see if I can do it. So and like, it. Let's yeah, go. yeah. And, and you got it's one of those things where you, you'll regret not doing it more than you'll regret trying it. So, so then how, how, you know, you have that conversation, like how, how did the whole 
you know, kind of spark start with this thing. Like, uh, just bad, the actual current state of it right now, I guess, like hanging out at Mars too much or, you know. <laughs> um, I don't know. I was down at Mars. I knew they had that psycho brew system. I knew that they were weirdos and I was talking <laughs> For to lack of a better term. <laughs> I was talking to Ed and I, I actually was hanging out there and I found two five barrel tanks that they were not using that were decommissioned in the back. I was like, what if you let me use that psycho brew system and fill those tanks that you guys definitely aren't using? He's like, yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, and so like I, I helped them with some like process stuff, like, uh, in exchange for letting me use their psycho brew system and two janky tanks in the back. <laughs> janky tanks. <laughs> yeah. Five barrel fermenters, nothing to sneeze at. You can, no, no. You, know, you can get so you can make beer in those. Yeah. Oh, you can definitely make beer in them, but there's stuff like, uh, one of them has like a top man way. And like the other day I was pressurizing the tanks. I just crashed it and it just kept leaking because it has like five, have six like screws to screw down to tighten mm-hmm. it. And you have to get them like perfectly in balance <laughs> so it wouldn't leak. And the only way I could get it is to completely leave one off. Oh, so geez. there's five of them that are like, hold, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> the physics don't work out, but, but it is it's but it's holding. sealed. Yeah, it's, it's pressurized. Holding, so I was like, this is not how this is supposed to work, but, but uh, don't call OSHA. You're going to remember it. Yeah. Wait, no, this never happened. <laughs> but I mean, these are the things you'll remember down the road. I mean, right. As you grow, as yeah. you grow and grow. So how would you, uh, what would you describe it like now? That, so did they consider that under like an umbrella of alternating proprietorship, contract brew, gypsy brewing? Like uh, uh, it, It's all, it's contract. So it's all their, their beer and sold mm-hmm. their license and everything. All mm-hmm. the invoices are Mars invoices. And, right. Uh, yeah. I just they'd get paid a some uh, unconnect disconnected uh marketing fee there you go yeah that'll has nothing to do with how much beer we make right right okay so how uh how frequent are you thinking about uh brewing and getting stuff out or so we it takes us about it's about three weeks in in the fermenter to finish a beer for what we're doing and then it takes about a minimum of two weeks for it to bottle condition Mm -hmm. so we've got it going now we'll have a beer out at least one batch of beer usually split into two with the uh, half being Brett conditioned, half being uh, the base uh, once a month. And then about once every quarter or so, depending on how long it takes, we'll have it like one of those finer points of bad behavior, which is the fruit and Brett beers I was talking about. Oh. We have so one, what you're calling finer points? The finer of points behavior. of bad behavior, yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. Any so, inspiration behind that? Uh, it, was, it was from Game of Thrones. <laughs> I forget uh, the guy who was like the smuggler, I can't remember his name oh, now. Yeah, Davos. Ta- yeah, Davos, Davos was talking to uh, the Baratheon's daughter, and they said something. About, she said something about her dad, and like, oh, your father doesn't understand, understand the finer points of bad behavior. <laughs> and I was like, that's a great name for a beer. Finer points. Bad yeah. Behavior. So it's gonna be like a series kind of thing. Yeah, okay. where it's the same base and then different fruit, and uh, usually it will be a different yeast. We'll probably reuse some of them as it suits the fruit. Um, but what, one of those will come out about, about a quarter because those go through primary fermentation with the yeast we're using, the Saccharomyces yeast we're using. And then when it's about terminal, we'll add, we add bread. And then after that, we add fruit. And so it goes through a bread fermentation until it's completely dry, like zero, like zero to half a Play-Doh. And so that can't really be rushed. Yeah. So whenever that's done, we package it up. So you're not you're not in any hurry. You're not trying to just push these things I out. Probably should, should be in that. more of a hurry. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. But um, no, it's just, let it's, your it's instincts also, do it. Well, it's seeing how quickly things pull through. We've only released two batches of beer, mm-hmm. and so I don't want to have 
15 beers on the shelf because no one actually wants this. What's a batch of beer for you, for you guys? Like how much production? Uh, Between the two, it's usually like 60 to 70 cases of 500 milliliters and a handful of kegs. Okay. Um, So like they'll do 35 and 35 typically for the split and then maybe two to four kegs. Nice. So all everything's packaged 500 milliliters and then drafts as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything, even the draft is keg conditioned. Okay. So, uh, yeah, everything's... Same process as with the bottles? Yeah. yeah. So the the first couple, we just carved them up to the same level because um, we knew where they were going. and We knew they had, like, flow-restricted <laughs> draft handles. Um, but the as we start adding more draft accounts, they're going to be yeah, carved some, slightly yes. lower because we don't want... To be the just foam parties, right? All right. foam parties. Even with flow restricted handles, the way we were carving them before could be foam parties. They're, <laughs> they're like over three volumes, which is traditional for saisons, um, but more traditional for draft beers. Two and a half to two point seven five is probably pushing it, but that's where we're we're putting the draft stuff at. Okay, so it'll be slightly different. But how much does carb affect? I mean, flavoring, or you know, when once it gets to the end consumer, it affects aroma a great amount, I think, and it affects the mouthfeel. Um, and it affects the perce- perceived acidity. So it will Just between g- that two and a half to three? Yeah, is volume. a okay. huge difference. Like basically, so to, at, at about two, it's almost imperceptible to the human palate. You won't even realize that there's carbonation in it. Typical beer is two and a half. So think about the difference between not being able to perceive it at all to like thinking this is Slight, pretty highly yeah. carbed. And then, so two and a half to three is like, is like the similar from not being able to taste it at all to normal carbonation. Then three to three point two is where we're putting stuff. So uh, it will cause aromas to come out of the glass, like it form a nice rocky head. Um, it will also make it lighter on your palate, um, and it will uh, make it perceive as slightly more acidic because there's carbonic acid. Um, and in theory, there's no real difference between force carbonating something and naturally carbonating it. It's t- in terms of it's just CO2 in solution. But every time I've had it, there's a it I taste different to me. So like <laughs> the organoleptic experience of it is that it is different for me. So we're con- conditioning everything as of right now. So you're like, this is the process. This is what right. we're this is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. That could change, but right now, this is what Mike wants to do. That's the way to do it. Well, I know it will. It, things will change as we think there are better ways to do them. Right. Not, it's not that there's one way to do it. Not it's change constant. for change's sake. Just I, yeah, I'm not a big when fan. Necessary. Yeah, change change when it will improve. Uh huh. Yeah. So how do you feel? I mean, they're your beers. Obviously, you're not gonna be like they've been pretty shitty, Joe. But like, how do you feel so far with the first few batches? I mean, where have you kind of showcased them at, and how they been mostly consumed? Just Bot, mostly bottles, mostly on draft accounts. Mo- mostly bottles. Um, the first batch we only did two kegs of, and, and both went to Beer Temple. Second batch we did uh, three, and two went to Beer <laughs> Temple, and one went to the Publican. Um, so it's going to be mostly bottles. Yeah. Um, I'm incredibly happy with them, uh, which is almost it's scarier to be like to really believe in what you what you made, and then to put it out there and be like maybe no one's going to like this. <laughs> Uh, I got super nervous the day before like our release party because it was like it was the first time that I even through doing music and doing the beer where it was this is purely an expression of myself and Dylan but like this is my 
my idea of a beer. This is like my platonic ideal of what I think a beer should taste like. Uh, and so there's nowhere to hide or no one else to blame if people think it sucks. So like being that kind of bare and like exposed was really nerve wracking. It went very well, which was great. But, uh, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't realize how nervous I was going to be for people to actually have the beers. I, I knew I wanted to make things that were a true reflection of how I felt and what I believed in, but I didn't realize how nervous it was going to make me. <laughs> it's like you, you, the way you're talking about this, you know, elegantly, you know, just kind of this great description of it. And, and then just picturing that guy, like at his house, it's like, un, where's my untapped? Just right. Like, right. Ugh, right. Three and a half. There's not even any alcohol in this beer. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I mean, the response on untapped has been pretty great. I, honestly, I was talking to people before I opened, I was like, if I can get be like a three, seven, five, that's pretty good for, <laughs> regular saison bar high baby hey i looked at blougy and they're 3.75 and that i think that's the best brewery in the world so like uh (laughs) you know thinking about that with uh you know pilsners and stuff like you know 375 you made a killer pilsner yeah it's the best pilsner i've ever had three stars such a weird world we live in but uh anyway it's crazy let's not focus on that untapping (laughs) too much but i mean personally you're happy with it like what's uh where's the label art come from now uh, we're using different artists for it's pretty sexy every label so far. So far. Thank cool. you. It's really cool. Yeah, it's um, we're trying to do things that don't look like other people's labels. It's almost impossible. Yeah, now. we met with one artist, and she was like, "I almost didn't meet you, guys, because I just really didn't want to draw skulls. And whenever I hear breweries, I think they're going to want me to draw a skull. And we're like, "No, nah, we need to put a skull over here." Yeah, right. She right. like snuck one in there on the label. Yeah. Uh, no, they've all been people we've, for the most part, people we found on Instagram or friends. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and almost entirely women, uh, just because the aesthetic of it is like these beers are more probably more feminine if you're going with the old version of what femininity is. I guess they're like softer, they're delicate, they're uh, they're not that brick brash mm-hmm. in, in your face. Which I, now I'm gonna get in trouble, but no, you're definitely uh, <laughs> in trouble. Um, but I mean they're. We actually would show everyone a Wes Anderson color palette. They're like, "This is what we." So okay, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Like, what what kind of went into this? Like, yeah, uh, how how are you interacting? Like, this is my vision. This like, are you explaining like what? There, there's almost none of like, as far as the visuals of it, that this is what I want from mm-hmm. it. Every artist we've worked with, we've been like, here's what our brewery is described. Kind of things we've been talking about. Here's what this beer is specifically, and then whatever excites you because I think that's how you're going to come up with like the best version of any piece of art is if someone that is creative creates it out of something that they're excited by. Um, and I don't personally have super, super strong opinions of aesthetics. I know more like color palettes and things like that, that I enjoy, but anything you put in there, I'll probably be okay with it as long as it, and they become representations of the beer in ways if we effectively communicate what the beer is to the artist. So the one you were looking at, Bourgeois Daydreams, when you were coming in, that's like hand-drawn, like very pencil-drawing kind of flowers, yeah. and they're beautiful. And it's a really good representation of a 3.2% beer that has like really, in, like not intense, but really highly floral characteristics. You want to look at it again? Is that what you're... Yeah, I'm, I'm looking all over the place. I would love to look at it. There it is. Um, and then like these kind of muted color palette, uh, not that the beer is muted, but it's like softer. It's not necessarily pastel, but it's like that kind of seventies burnt orange Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, 
yeah, it's it's like, and it prepares. It should ultimately the label should draw you in and prepare you for what you're going to drink. Um, yeah, because that 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 feels like a label that would contain the type of liquid that we consumed earlier, which r- totally makes sense. And that's so. that's the goal with all of them. Uh, and it's m- about how effectively Dylan and I can communicate to the artist what the beer is about, like the like the essence of it, because then that same essence can come out in the artwork, um, and it will come out most interestingly and most effectively with very little input from us. Like we have this, a template where we want everything to go, but even the template, like the second artist we worked with was more of a graphic, it was a graphic designer. Most artists we worked with, they're just kind of illustrators. Uh-huh. And so we're like, if you want to mess with the template, go ahead and mess with the template yeah. because it was, it worked better for the art she was doing too. Yeah, and she was this super talented. Here? Like you, what, so with your guys' template, are you looking at skew here, you know, brewery logo here, uh, uh, description of the beer here. Like, is that the kind of what you're spacing, what you're giving them initially? Yeah. Or? we So everything except the art and like the, the name on the one you're looking at, which is great podcasting for me, uh, is, is, uh, is already a picture pre- of it up pre-filled there. with like Ipsum Lorem kind of, uh, random words. And it's like, this is where these things go. And the, when we tell the artists, like, if you want to play with the, the layout, we just need all this information on there. If you think there's a better visual way to display it, go for it because it will suit your art better. And we want it to be a cohesive. We want it to be yeah. cohesive to the label, especially this early in the the. They're branding. a part of it too. They're a part of it too. You know? Totally, um, and we want it to be cohesive to a piece of art on the label, uh, almost more than from label to label. Because if we have someone that does something great, then it's like maybe that's what we do now. Because Dylan and I aren't visual artists and we aren't graphic designers, so when you have someone who is more talented than you at something, you should let them do that it's almost one of the it's almost like an audition in every label it might be, it might be your future forever artist yeah, it's very so, american know. idol where we sit behind a table yeah. and like, yeah. no 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 with glasses of expensive bourbon uh, <laughs> yeah no typically we like meet with them at uh middle brow which is right down the street <laughs> and uh have a beer and talk about what the what the label is yeah that's, or what the what the art what, what the beer is and then they were like whatever you want to do go for it it's like inevitable though it's like the, there's so much out there it's like it's so hard to make it unique. It's so hard yeah. to make it like not where somebody's gonna be like, "Oh, that looks like uh, whatever." You know, it right. looks like something I've seen before. Right. So it's a huge challenge. We're trying to use artists that haven't done stuff for breweries, which it, you know we thought was gonna be difficult because of most of the stuff I look at is like, "Oh yeah, it's the pipework stuff," or it's Eric, or the, but it's not as difficult as you think. There's a lot of artists out there, <laughs> so uh, not a yeah. lot of skull artists though. They <laughs> yeah, all, yeah, they all, all been for, used. They all already work for Three Floyds. So you've got a cat artist as well with that pillow. I, I, I've been staring at that pillow <laughs> since we got in here, and I'm like, no, that definitely says fuck off. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Actually, Dylan's wife made that. She has a, a pillow company. It looks so beautiful. Company. Like, uh, you know, yeah, like a nice embroidery, and then mm-hmm. you know, look at these little kittens, and then all of a sudden you just see fuck off. Yeah. In there, yeah, that was like right a, in the middle, nicely stitched. <laughs> that was a birthday gift a few years ago from yeah. Tiffany. Like Approaching it. happiness. I don't even know if she does it anymore, but. <laughs> Check it out. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. So bourgeois daydreams. I mean, let's hear. Let's hear the thought behind why why bourgeois daydreams. Uh, actually, Tiffany came up with that name too. All right. Yeah. She's bougie. Yeah, <laughs> bougie. I mean, the idea is that this is a, it's um, not a silly thing to do, but it's like a almost frivolous thing to do to make a three point two percent beer as your third beer when you're only packaging in five hundred milliliter bottles. Um, Sound like you're making great decisions, Mike. <laughs> well. We, we're making the right decisions. I don't know if they're great decisions. Uh, there, you know, we can make a, when you look at the bottle costs the same, no matter how many alcohols or how many hops you put in it. Right. So there's a minimum that you have to charge for these things. And to 
get the value proposition to a place where I think it's reasonable for people to get this. This should be on the shelves at like five ninety nine for a five hundred milliliter bottle, uh, and that is a, a relatively healthy pro, like cost of goods sold for us. But because you're playing so because you're playing so much lower, the ultimate revenue is way lower. So even though it's this right cogs, it's still like less revenue for us. Mm-hmm. But it's the right place to put it on the shelf i think for people that want to try a 3.2 percent beer there's also nothing crazy about it just a really good table beer so it's not sour it doesn't have star fruit in it it's just really how uh, dare you just like, star fruit in. right <laughs> they, they were out of season i guess um we were out of star fruit puree no puree <laughs> I, mean, I don't is this even a beer anymore? yeah there's, there's no yeah, puree there's there's no puree we didn't put any vanilla in there's it no lactose in there <laughs> i don't i don't like this at all people are gonna hate me i'm leaving um <laughs> uh but so like, i wanted to be able to put it and i i'm a firm believer that most beer not all beer but most beer should be relatively commodity priced that it costs this much for us to make it and so we should charge you a relatively consistent markup on what it costs us um because then you start playing in these weird realms of perceived value and exploitation. And so oh. I'm not a fan of that. But no, I'm going to go get some of this and ship it across the country for <laughs> a hefty profit. Go for it. I, I'm putting it out where, I, where I'm making some money and where I think it's valuable to people at that price. I think that's a pretty cool agreement to have. Yeah, you got to be able to do it again. So right. you got to have at least enough to get some more grain and get some more, right. you know, all that stuff. Your time is valuable, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, for 500 mil uh, for a table beer, yeah, six bucks. I can live with that. Yeah. Pretty sure a 750 at side project of their table beer was about 25 bucks. So. <laughs> well, they're a different, yeah, they're a different right. they're That a, thing was in barrels. They're different, yeah. They're the number, the best so brewer in the world. Ball? The best yeah. non-meatery in the world uh-huh. on Untapped. Yeah, they are insane, but beer's yeah, great. Impressive, yeah, very impressive. It makes it easy to get into the style if you you go if you start there. It's, right, it's not that bad. Uh, it's also like alcohols per dollar is still kind of a thing, you know. Like people are, you know, a, we're making small batches of this, and it will it finds its audience, but like it's still asking a lot of someone to like spend their six pack money on on. 16 ounces six of beer. six-pack money. Yeah. Like, At per diem. Right. six-pack per diem. So it has to be, someone who's buying this has to be somewhat willing to say, I want to have less liquid for a, a, a more unique experience. Yeah. So uh, can people go get it right now? Like, is there, mm. still, not this one, Bourgeois, obviously, but the other offerings, are they still available? You know, uh, are you keeping track of that? You yeah. Them like, hey. So I'm doing all the deliveries myself. So when I go into the stores, I can see. I can see. That's <laughs> my favorite thing. When brewers and owners walk in with their delivery, like, you're fucking loving this because you're working hard. I, I, hey, I wanted to do every part of it. You know, I wanted to make sure, I wanted to have the, I wanted to somewhat be bulletproof as we grow and be like, no, man, I did that like pretty Trust much me. by myself yeah. for mm-hmm. the long time. Um, so yeah, there's still some, a lot of the will be is, is disappearing. There's still some on shelves, always Zag, which is the hop accented beer, uh, is out and around. There's mostly Brett left at that one. And then, uh, this will come out in probably two to three weeks, depending on labels. And we're hoping to time it and get the late with, uh, the release of the finer points of bad behavior, the peach one. So we'll have... Well, it'd make your out. life a little easier if you had delivered to multiple places. You like get right. those those well, done in one day. Well, there is a, like a 
a oh. real limitation on how much I can deliver because I only have a station wagon. So when you're going to say Toyota Corolla or something. <laughs> no, I got, I've got a, a Corolla. A, a, one of those Volkswagen diesel station wagons oh, that shit. I got in a lot of trouble for. Where's so, that at? I don't see that. It's park, parked out front. Hell yeah. I'm going to go take a look at that bad boy. Uh, yeah, it's one of those ones I got in a lot of trouble for because they were cheating emissions. So oh. they had to buy a bunch of them back, fix the emission problems, Whoops. and now they're, they're basically, they were giving them away. Oh Jesus! Well, not giving fit, away. It still costs beer. money, but fit beer though. Yeah, it was it was perfect. I asked uh, Joe Gabavi, who was like the every time you say his name, I'm like, no, it's Joe Bobby. My name's Joe, Joe Bobby. <laughs> Sorry, like it's not uh, Joe Gabavi, who is uh, like I think is technically his card says custodian at Pipeworks, but he writes all the lager recipes, most of the hazy IPA recipes, and just fixes everything. Like has an interesting job. He's been there. Fixes everything. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the fixer. Been there about as long. Was as he I recently have. on Malkatour? Yeah, with Alice Kidd them. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I listened to that episode. It was great. I haven't listened to it. I'm terrified. Oh, it's great. Of what I said. You gotta listen to it. <laughs> um, Their Laffler episode's phenomenal. I'll have to yes. listen to that. Um, but I asked him, like, what's the best deal in used cars right now? And he's like, let me get back to you. Wait, Two- he, this is who you're asking? Joe Bobby? Yeah, because he's like a gearhead and like. Oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, what can't this guy do? Yeah. <laughs> But then two days later, he rolls in with one of those cars that he bought. And I'm like, that's a pretty big vote of confidence. Because I don't know anything about cars. Yeah. I'm like, so you bought one in addition to his. Yeah, so he I bought, bought, one, I bought one afterwards, uh, yeah. Joe, I'm following you down this dark path. Yeah. Let's go. Well, it's, it's perfect for what I'm doing now. Because uh, I can fit basically an entire batch of beer, or like three quarters of a batch of beer in uh-huh. the car at once. And then I can basically hit every one of our accounts right now in a single day Boom. as long as i've lined up all the it's not gonna last things. long you know that right uh, you're, you're gonna you're gonna need two volts <laughs> yeah. and another dude you need two people yeah, yeah. I'm say, you're gonna need another dude yeah uh yeah because that's gonna be people are gonna be wanting once this starts to spread a little bit i mean how do you feel like how big how big do you want to get like you know it's uh, not that you're like i'm gonna do build this fucking empire but like right. i had a great conversation with mike at microphone once about this but how he said like he never wanted to brew over so much capacity of beer and that i mean now they're 12 just turning twelve thousand square feet all of a sudden right over there in uh elk Grove village but you know just kind of the thought of like how big is big enough uh I don't know. I don't have a barrelage yeah. number in my head. I don't think it's very big. I don't want it. it wouldn't mean anything to yeah. me. <laughs> I don't think it's very big, but it's the amount of beer that it goes into the world and people consume it within a normal, like a, a good amount of time, and they're pleased by the quality of it, however big that is, uh, where we don't have a lot of stuff sitting on shelves or we don't make a lot of duds, like whatever that size is. And that's what we're trying to figure out now is like what is kind of like, you know, uh, my dad called like when I'm going through the business model stuff and like the projections, but that's like, well, you gotta do a little anal extraction. You just kind of pull some, pull it out of your ass. You Squeeze know, like, that you gland. You don't really just, know. Yeah. You don't really know what you're kind of basing it on a lot of assumptions. So you hope your assumptions are right. But, um, or at like least close that, to right. Extraction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's an old business term. Well, the old uh, business term. Uh, so I know it's as big as, uh, it can be wild. While Mike's lifestyle. happy. Yeah, while the lifestyle is Dylan's still... Dylan's happy. Yeah. Family's happy. Everybody's and happy. The, and the beer is good, and people that are consuming it are pleased by it or delighted by it in some way. Who'd you talk to, like, when when you when you kind of started the ball rolling, when, you know, you talked to Pipeworks and t- said, this is what I'm going to do, and you kind of, you and Dylan got together. Like, so did you lean on anybody in the industry? Did you have, like, close friends? I mean, were you talking to Tom and Ed mostly at Mars, or... I mean, I mean, yeah, I brew out of Mars, so I lean on right. them a lot. Uh, I buy my grain through Pipeworks, like, so because they get a bigger, 
Is that legal? This you can do that, right? That's cool. Yeah. Group buy? Yeah. Group buy? Um, yeah, and then uh, I knew a lot of people who owned or worked at liquor stores, so I hit them up and was like, hey, I'm starting this thing. I'm doing this. Uh, would you like to be part of the maiden voyage of carrying the beer? Um, that, but yeah, I mean, that's, it's, it's, it's possible because of the relationships I've made over the last, I guess I was thinking more like along the advice side of things where you just uh, kind of like, am I, am I an idiot? Like, did you, anybody you oh, remember, you remember like sitting down with and like telling them what you were doing? Yeah. Like I mean, different reactions or was everybody just like, fuck yeah, Mike, do it. By the time I really was saying I'm doing this, I'd already decided I was going to do it. Yeah, so see. I'm sure people like think I'm an idiot, but they wouldn't say it to me. I like maybe Chris Quinn, I think has been like, I'm worried for you a couple of times, but, uh, he worries a lot. So he's worried about your well being. Yeah. And he's, he's a, he's a friend. He's worried that I'm, I'm making to dumb choices, but pretty much everyone's been very supportive of it. Um, like my parents are very supportive of it. Like Garrett and Pipeworks is very supportive of it. Um, everyone's been like either a lot of like, you're crazy. Mom and dad, but, like, like let's get it. Go yeah, for it. Right. Like that's how it went. Yeah, that's pretty good. Much. That's pretty good. Yeah, I I remember like uniquely in your the first time we sat down with the pipeworks, the barrel aged one, we talked about uh, we talked about your parents, and you were talking about uh, a job or something like an interview that you were going on. And oh, you're yeah. like, well, if you don't think you're gonna like that much, just don't go back to the interview. And like, yeah, I remember just being like, I couldn't imagine my parents saying that. They were like, you know, a lot of people probably have that same thought. Like, my mom would be like, just get a job, just right? Get a job. <laughs> right. We're no, in Connecticut. Like yeah, you're over in Chicago. Go get a get a job. Yeah, no, they're great people, and uh, they could tell on that like that phone call you're talking about that I was like I was not in a good place. So like if this is what you think your life's gonna be like, we'd rather have you. Like they wanted me to have a job. Like I think that they right. they were like internally they were screaming just go get a job, but like they they were like no just if that's what you really think this is gonna be then you have to trust that. Which is something I'd, I'd never even, I never really heard from, specifically my dad. Never heard like yeah. that you got to trust your intuition on that, the way you feel from my dad until that point. Now I hear it m- much more often. But You get older uh, and wiser, it's yeah. a little softer, right. you get a little more loving. Yeah, but it was, it was a, yeah, that was a formative experience. And I think that they've been very supportive of, of everything. I mean, they, sometimes I'm mad at them for how supportive they are. Like for a while I was pissed they let me go to music school. That was a terrible decision. <laughs> Why would you let me do <laughs> yeah, this? You're supposed to make, stop me from making these types of decisions. It's a terrible uh, decision. But no, they've been super supportive. Yeah, I just wondered like about that. You know, I mean, even when when I left like normal work to go work in a bottle shop, I I thought I, I called like John Brand over at Open Outcry. I'm like, am I making a terrible decision here? Like, what's <laughs> you know? And he just went through it step by step with me and was like, business side, financial side. What's your wife do? Who's got the insurance? Like this kind right, of right. St- you know, like that kind of stuff. And then I called Evan from Phase Three. He used to be at Moore, you know, a GM over there, and he was like he went through like the emotional side with me. It was yeah. kind of like, like what's your life like? You know, I was never in a bad spot, but it was like, you know, I just felt like naturally I wanted to ask questions and talk to people that were kind of embedded already in, in that world. So I guess I'm, I'm putting myself in your shoes. Sure. I feel like I'd be immediately be calling like, who's done this, you know, like who's done this well, before. I mean, well, I, I had done it, you know, like I had done it with Pipeworks in a way. Like it wasn't riding in the with, car. Right. It wasn't my ass on the line. It wasn't my lines of credit, but like I, w- I started there when, like with a couple months after they started. So I'd seen what it was like and lived the experience of what that would be like. It was a, it's a completely different time in beer. So it's not going to be, yeah. and we're doing completely different things, but I, I wasn't that worried about any of that stuff. I'd seen and like done a lot of the stuff of how 
a brewery grows and what you, what, you know, the ways to spend money and things in the way to, you know, to work around things that are difficult, uh, for opening a brewery like that. And my dad also works, um, for, uh, a consultant that does stuff with like lean startup companies. So like the idea of opening a lean startup, is kind of what we're doing where it's like the, the spend the least amount of money possible to make a product that is like the highest quality you possibly can to go to market with and, and then respond quickly to what is happening and what your feedback is. So I was, I was, I really, I wasn't worried and didn't really seek out too much of that type of advice to be perfectly honest, which I probably should have now that I'm talking about it. But I mean, that's kind of so the far, way, so good. but that type of thing was the way that I had thought basically my entire adult life. Cause that's what Pipeworks was in start as a startup brewery and had grown like that. So, um, probably should have thought more about like the personal finance side of it. But, you know, <laughs> That's going to be hard times for so, a while. It's, it's going right. to be hard times for a while. But, I've, um, I've saved up. Well, yeah. Right. right. You had to, you gotta make, you gotta be ready. You gotta yeah. be ready for that decision. That's right. But, uh, but I mean, it, it, you got to sacrifice to, to live your passion, you know, yeah. it sounds corny, but it's a real thing. It, you know, yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's going to be concessions to be made to, you know, for future investment basically. Right. It's one of those truisms or like, uh, like a mundane thing to say until you actually do something like that. And then it's very, very real. Like it's people until people actually, you do have to sacrifice for something you truly believe in. People are like, yeah, of course that's what everyone says, but then you do it and you're like, this is viscerally true and real. And it's not mundane at all until you actually, like when you actually experience that. Did you just kind of keep this a lot to yourself before, before like pulling the trigger? Like before, like, I don't know. I, I, I guess there's no real, like signing paperwork or, you know, whatever, whatever that is. But like, did you kind of keep this in to yourself? Like, I'm going to do this. I got Dylan here. Like, was Dylan always part of this or was he kind of like, he came in once you started getting your ball rolling? He came in once I started, like after I had told Pipeworks I was going to leave and I started planning in earnest. Um, that's like, I, I didn't tell a lot of people, but I, that's when I approached him to be my partner. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, that's kind of how, how I operate. I don't, I'm not a big, uh, self promoter or like, I don't know. Uh, I guess the, the, the line, the line of questioning I, I was getting after was the, the thought of like, uh, uh, you know, you have a reputation in a group in, I mean, not a reputation, but you have great, you have great relationships in the industry. You know, a lot of people, especially in this core Chicago scene of craft beer, it's like, People respect you. People know the kind of great work you do and how hard you work. So I I imagine like there would have been, you know, let's say you were floating this out there, but I imagine there'd be people like, let me get in on this. Like, let me, let me, let me uh, throw some finance at you, whatever. (laughs) I'm sure you've built, you know, many relationships. There there was some of that, but I'm not in, right. When I started, I wasn't interested in taking any financing. So, right. And I (laughs) I didn't want to. That's kind of what I was trying to push towards, but yeah. Uh, No, this is so far, it's been all self financed. Um, And then, like, off of, uh, we have a credit card that we spent a little bit of money on. And off of, like, kind of the kindness of of suppliers of, like, net 30 day terms and that Mm -hmm. type of thing. Because when Pipework started up, they were able to turn a beer over in a couple of weeks. And so, when they had net 30 day terms, they could already be making the money to pay back that but yeah these beers take it my, the beers i'm making take about two months from the time we grain in to the time i can crazy i can yes actually sell it. yeah well I, we can probably tighten that up but it's more until we have consistency knowing that the thing we're going to put out is going to be good let's after make six the best instead first. of eight yeah let's make the best version first yeah. And, right. yeah. and yeah and so 
I need I need like I need a little bit of like buffer for that too. So uh, even thirty days is great. But we, you know, Dylan and I put a little bit of money into it, and we were able to pay the initial bills off mm-hmm. that. And now that we're selling beer, we can pay things off. Yeah, from, the, from the, the revenue. I guess I was just pushing at that that story of like you know, you you you'd have the option to do something like that. Somebody would be willing to do that, or you know, bring in finances from outside, but. Like, would that mentally diminish it for you a little bit? And it'd be like, it's not my, you know, it's no, not my thing. No, I don't, I don't think so. Um, it's just that I don't know how big it's supposed to be yet. Yeah. So yeah. that like before we go and like try to get a loan or, you know, try to get someone to give us money, I have to have a pretty good understanding of what is the true size that this can grow into, uh, at least conservatively. Conservatively, um, that's, uh, that's a so, key. That's right. A key. Right. Because you're never gonna have that thought like I'm gonna be fucking huge, right? Well, there was a period of time if you open like, and I now I was talking to Dylan about this. I feel fortunate that we're not opening a brewery in a time where people are telling you you can be a thirty thousand barrel a year brewery, because mm-hmm. um, I, I don't think that exists anymore. Or at least of, like Budweiser will buy you in six months. Don't right. worry, just hang out, make mediocre beer, right. and we'll grab you. Or, or then the idea of that like they'll they'll buy you, or you'll just make thirty thousand barrels a year and you'll sell it wherever. It's like that. I don't that. So that grocery is, stores around the world. That space is taken up. Um, there are some breweries that are going to do that fantastically, but I don't think any brewery opening now is going to have a very good shot of being that type of regional brewery that used to exist. I feel like regional so, breweries are dying a little bit. I don't know. I it's, would have to agree. I think there's a there's a big uncanny valley between like ten and twelve and like seventy and eighty. Like that's a weird place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, depend and depending on what your business model is too, but um. Like, I feel fortunate to not try to do this in a time where that is something that we have to, you know, think about. It's like, do we want to try to do that? It's now it's more like, well, we need to have a tap room. We need to do some self distribution, um, and that's where like the revenue is going to come from. It's not going to come from volume like that. That's really not an option. So it's more likely that we we need to make things that we really believe in so that we can feel good selling them, um, and then seeing what is that. 800 barrels a year is that a thousand is it 2000 like uh, trying to project that out is what the, the face we're in right now and all that'll take time experience and yeah i mean we're gonna be at least probably at least a year at mars before we start trying to make any sort of move look at that it's like you knew where i was going i was <laughs> gonna say like what's the plan like how, how how do you see yourself interacting through mars i mean can is mars gonna be selling it out of their tap room or no yeah right? they sell it out of their tap room bottles? right now they sell like, bottles out of their tap room they might have to head to mars right now <laughs> They might get some some draft at some point too. Um, I just, honestly I didn't think they would want to take up their draft lines with my beer. So then like two, after the yeah, second week, right. Ed Mars like so Ed Mars like why won't why didn't you give us any drafts? And I'm like I I don't know. We only had three kegs. They have and, guest taps. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, it's their beer, so it's not even a guest tap. No. Uh, but yeah, they, so I they'll have it on draft at uh, probably the next go around. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I just was curious like about, you know, poking around, like it's a business model. Uh, it's happening. So I, I didn't know if maybe he like reached out to like St. Laurent or hot butcher, like these <laughs> sure, guys sure. that are, that are uh, gypsy I, brewing, I guess you'd call I, it. I contract talked, brewing. I talked a lot to Pete at Middlebrow about what they did and how they pulled it off. What did they do? What, I guess I'm not really they, familiar. They contract with brewed for about eight years before they opened out that of, brew pub, anyway. a bunch of different places. Okay. And so I talked to him about like, you know, what if they talked to Great Central about doing stuff there? They were brewing out of like 1090, and like, what were the pros and cons, and what do you look out for when you're doing one of these like situations? What I have, a deal, the deal I have with Mars is is very simple. It doesn't like 
I, I all I get all the ingredients myself. I do everything. I I pay them for some chemicals and some some of their resources that that, that I use. Um, but it's pretty it's pretty simple compared to like a lot of other contract mm-hmm. setups. Um, but it's like knowing what it's, it looks like. To if we wanted to go to this place and do that, is that a good deal? Or is that, should we should we like go if we can do a double the batch size? Is it worth going to that that place if you have to deal with these these setups? Mm-hmm. Um, but like we until we know that we can sell the beer, we're gonna make it other places. We're not gonna expand. Something tells me you're gonna be able to sell the beer, but yeah, yeah I know you I gotta know so. that first. So. Yeah, you can't just winging a prayer this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's hubris. It's exciting, man. Yeah. yeah, hubris. That's great. I don't know how many times hubris has come up on this show. You might be ding ding number one. Yes, I mean, that, that was the goal. I hope so. Um, yeah. So right now, what uh, uh, beers? Or I'm sorry, uh, beer temple. Where, where else can people grab it? Uh, Mars. Beer temple Mars. It's at um, the Binnies and the South Loop, Grand, Marcy Street, and Lakeview. Okay. So Bottles and cans, uh, Bitter Pops. It's a great spot. Um, where else? Liquor Park, Garfield's in Wicker Park. It, they have bottles at the Publican right now. They have bottles at a restaurant called Abba, which is just north of there. Okay. Um, where else? I don't know. You got some that's making me mad at you. But yeah, why don't you say us because so right. many people listen to this, so it's like, <laughs> right. uh, uh, red and white wines, red um, and white wines. Yeah, they were actually the first people, it's pretty so, obvious name, huh? Yeah, they do, like they do a lot of like natural like wines, it. they have a bar and a uh, and a bottle shop. Oh, okay. Um, but I went in there and tasted them out. They brought in, they carry some beer. There's, there's, they were the first people to actually want to reorder, which shocked me because they mostly sell wine. Oh shit! Well, they said it's moving, it. it's moving well through their. Uh, this would be a good bar, kind of. Right, and that was compliment to wine. Well, that, it's a consumer that Dylan and I talk about being attracted to the type of beers we're making. As someone who thinks they don't, that classic consumer, like I don't like beer, like I drink this kind of wine. It's like yeah. check this out. Yeah, um, you might find something you like in there. Right. Um, so I think that's I think that's pretty much everywhere. Uh, Maria's. Uh, Beer Maria's. Miscuous. Oh, Beer Miscuous. And Maria's. Yeah. Maria's Pascuits. Yeah. Yep. Fuck yeah. That's pretty much so all. Yeah, you're, you're in some spots. That's good. So people can actually go out there and grab it. Yeah. It, and it's like the kind of places where pretty much everywhere. Hopefully it'll be gone by the time they get there. But, you know, then you'll have <laughs> no. more coming. There'll hopefully there's, more a, coming. there's hopefully there's one left every time someone <laughs> gets there. <laughs> every time somebody listens well. to this specific episode of this right. podcast, there's one bottle left for you somewhere. Right. A little twinkle in Mike's eye every time. <laughs> it's great. It'll just pop up. <laughs> just in hey, time. Yeah. got nothing but time yeah. here i am so how often are you finding yourself at the brewery then at uh, mars uh usually like four or five days a week yeah. uh some more like this week i'll be i'll go down there after we wrap this up and then uh, i will also be there saturday and sunday okay um we're bottling a beer that we made with a brewery in china what saturday <laughs> But Is Was made a beer with, yeah, with a uh, Chinese brewery? Yeah, a brewery called Great Leap, which is Dang, in Beijing. Dude, what's up? Yeah. How'd, uh, how'd you get that? Uh, they did, he Carl, who owns the brewery and started the brewery, um, came to Pipeworks like five or six years ago when he had start, just started that brewery. We made a beer with him at Pipeworks. Um, then I've been to China a couple times to pour for Pipeworks at a festival there, and he was back in town. So he asked if he wanted to do a collaboration Why the hell not so we met him through the guy who owns hophead farms and so carl was supposed to bring szechuan peppercorns to make this like a you know more unique thing than just like hey he showed up and here's a picture of him putting hops in um but it happened to be like one of the last weeks of hop harvest so through oh. the guy that i met carl through we were able to buy fresh hops 
So we made what we're calling a harvest saison, which oh, okay. was a... Uh, like a wet hopped version. Yeah. Okay. Like wet hop. I don't know. Yeah. Something about it Sexy. isn't... Yeah. Fresh, I like to say freshly picked, but yeah. like, do you get too many... I tend to put too many words into things. Freshly combined uh, yeah. <laughs> giants. Right. Hophead Farm of Michigan? Yeah. Southern Michigan? Yeah. yeah. You out uh, rubbing hops and whatnot lately? You've been out there doing... I've... See I've, a lot of people at Yakima lately. I've never gone to selection. No. Um, yeah. When I was the buyer of those things at, at Pipeworks, the email would always go to Garrett, and then we would kind of like for, we would forget about it until it was too late. And then this year, he actually texted me the night before he was supposed to go, and he's like, "I can't go. Do you want to go?" And I'm like, "It's eight, it's like it's eight p.m. right now, and you say the flight's at six a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> I probably can't." And I had to do actually I had to do deliveries that day wow. too. I, I've never gone. I would love to go. But yeah, it looks like a good experience, right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah it looks pretty badass. Yeah. So is that that's got to help. I mean, I know you said you're getting a lot of the grain through Pipeworks, uh, but it's got to help to already have those relationships or the raw materials in place. Yeah. I mean, that's got a lot of breweries. I noticed that, that startups that are especially like first time, not already in the business type guys. It's like they're, they're hard they're hard to source ingredients sometimes. Yeah, I mean, until you know, it's kind of like a secret backdoor of like actual wholesalers and suppliers. Because when you're a home brewer, you just know like more beer or northern brewer and that type of stuff or and so you don't really know where to get these things so you don't really have the ability to compare prices or compare quality you kind of only have one supplier of those things so i mean i spent seven years sourcing ingredients and sourcing them for both quality and for price so i already had a good idea of who i wanted to work with and what ingredient what type of ingredients i wanted to use to make the thing i needed to make and there's a lot of great suppliers like i use omega for our yeast why Um, wouldn't you yeah. they're great I, they're, they also help with a lot of stuff like for some of the Brett pairing stuff of like here's what the beer is going to taste like I'm, I'm thinking about this Brett what do you do you guys agree the usually yes or you could also use this one and sometimes I'm like oh I'm going to use that one that sounds awesome yeah. some stuff that's like not on the website every once in a while it's a beautiful thing about it. Omega it just has they're all right. these great stories behind them like where people just just like exactly what you just said yeah just the suggestive and like always there to kind of follow up if you have an issue with something you right know, whatever it is so and like I, the, I can describe a flavor i want and then we can reverse engineer what i should be taking which is like that lance not, guy it's not always perfect but it's like superhuman yeah well i, I work with Adi most of the time on okay. that stuff I think also probably superhuman <laughs> amazing it's just the one of the smartest guys about you said both those guys are pretty incredible so how are you deciding? Like I know you're you're talking about that omega. Uh, it's it's one strand that you, that you seem to like the Belgian yeast. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you're talking about the Bretts. Like, how are you going about that? Like, how how many different Bretts do they offer? You know, out of uh, out of Omega, are they send you like a little catalog? Like, hey, check this. They have we got this sexy little guy this week. <laughs> check this guy out. Uh, they've got a thing online that has a list of all the Bretts. Um, but sometimes I'll just be like, hey, I, I'm thinking about using this Brett B for this purpose to make it taste like this, is it going to actually do that? Yeah. Sometimes like, nah, it doesn't actually do that. Mm-hmm. There's also a lot of like missing, not misinformation, but incomplete or bad information in research you do, even in like books. When you look at stuff, you're like, I know that that's not right. When you look at some of these like sour beer books or some like process books. Um, so having someone to be like, is this actually going to be the outcome of using this thing? Yeah. Like be able pro- to tell you honestly. put it in practice. Right. Yeah. Instead of, and it's a little bit better than just ordering it from some other yeast bank and getting something that isn't even Brett or something that people thought was Brett. So, yeah. 
Bretomyces. Right. And we're going to be, you know, we're a fermentation focused brewery. So having someone that can tell me when I'm wrong about that and make sure the fermentation is going to be correct is super helpful. Goober's super helpful. <laughs> Goober's like, I'm brewing the beer now. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. This is my ship. That's right. So, I mean, I know we, we covered a lot. We've talked about a lot. So, uh, just kind of going forward, like, what do you, how are you feeling? What are you going to do? What do you want to do? Like, what's the short term stuff? Like, are you just going to keep trying to get these beers timed out and get them out and get the processes refined? Yeah. The mostly refining process and making sure the beers are as good as we can possibly make them. Uh, short term goals is to make more beer when I see that the market will actually bear it. And then people are like, cause I, you know, when you look at like, I need this many people to buy that beer. That's a crazy number. And then I think about like, well, hundreds of times that times that bought Pipeworks beer, like eventually I need more people to know about it. People so are more people to, to know. And yeah. <laughs> we'll so, buy it, dude. <laughs> I hope so. But, uh, so just, I, I wanted to confirm for myself that people would buy it. And like, we've released two batches now. So seeing pull through on like subsequent batches after the first, it's going to be a real test of like how big and how fast can we actually scale this up. Um, and then, go from go from there to be equal parts proactive and responsive to what's going on is is the goal for now so through the process wait when was inception basically of of this i mean date wise uh, uh i mean i know you released your first beer what august then it would have been i think so yeah august? it's like august middle of august uh-huh. so uh, how long we, we brewed did that it take to get to that well my last day at pipeworks was the last day of may and then we were brewing by the end of the first week of June. Damn, that's actually pretty quick. I mean, it's not that bad of a turnaround. No, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to wait. I knew what I wanted to do. Yeah. And I knew that the beer was going to take six weeks to two months for it to be ready. So I'm like, if I every day I wait is pushing it further and further into the future. <laughs> yeah, right. I want to be able to at least have people try this and start making this a real business. Do you have anything bouncing around in your brain that you're really excited about coming down the line? Like, man, like stuff that I can't wait to get out into into grain and water. Yeah, we're brewing a beer with uh, spruce tips and honey on Sunday. And that spruce tips are probably my favorite beer ingredient. I've uh, had very limited experience with them, but enjoyed what I've had. Uh, yeah. Even in New England once, I think Workforce did one with spruce tips that they did with uh, Rocky Reef up in God knows where, Wisconsin, Woodruff, Wisconsin. <laughs> Woodruff. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're they're beautiful. They're these cool little, like, they're only slightly piney, but they have like a lot of this citrus and like pineapple character. And uh, there's enzymes in honey that break down the character that is pine in them so that you can... Re- so we're going to steep the spruce tips in honey okay. for a little bit of time before we add them. And that will break down some of that resinous character. Because the Saison that we're brewing is going to be pretty dry, as most of them are. might be a little bit sweeter than the other things we've made so far. But that resinous character without a little bit of sweetness is not as, you know, enjoyable. So reducing that a little bit through process and through ingredients uh, is... And still getting like that citrusy fruitiness that you can only get from those spruce tips is kind of, is exciting to me. It sounds pretty badass, you know. <laughs> that, you know? Well, that's kind so. of stuff I'm gonna be looking for out of a you know a brewery like you. Like that's the kind of thought that I'm getting from from is was at this point. Like these kind of things, like the the uh, Jesus, I already forgot the awesome name from Game of Thrones. The, no, the, the finer the, points the finer of bad points, behavior. Yes. 
yeah, like that series, I feel like it's going to be a really, really awesome, like anticipated thing once it hits. Yeah. Um, just try something different. But uh, like this tape, like I'd like to have a case of that table beer. You know, <laughs> like I'd love to be able to pop those open during, like literally during dinner you know, right. at, the, at the table. Like, well, it goes so nicely. One of the nice things about starting something new like this and kind of the 500 milliliter format of single serve is that it it's a like kind of an aperture where you can get people to focus down on things. And so nuance and subtlety becomes more exaggerated when you have someone who's specifically choosing to spend time with this beer there's it's great to just slam a bunch of cans of of stuff yeah, but it's yeah. less likely that you're going to uh attempt to perceive the nuance of it so like by having a new a new brewery a new brand and Kitty like a Goober. specific format right now the yeah. downside is that you know it's, it's a little bit more expensive and uh just packaging it's, it's just, and just the, the packaging yeah. everything mm-hmm. but it, it is we need it for the conditioning we're doing partially. Uh, and it, it, it is this like interesting focusing mechanism where like you, you choose, you're choosing to do this. It's not just happening to you. Mm-hmm. So it's more likely you're, you'll perceive the work and subtlety and thought that went into it than if it's just in packaging kind of a mass quantity. Even the type of beer that it is, it, 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 I see myself as a consumer more focused on that type of beer because like, I'm more like, I know IPAs for you know well enough. I know stouts and pastry stouts and you know that the, the big the big ones, even like the kettle sours and sours now. But these styles like they make me concentrate more while I'm drinking them. Sure. Like I have a reverence for you know afterthoughts when I pop them open totally. at my home. You know, and I ulti- take a little time with them. Ultimately, we want to be able to do both. We want you to be able to have a good time just sitting in the sun drinking it if we uh, without thinking about it, but. We want to be able to provide the experience with the same beer that if you do want to sit and contemplate it and observe it really deeply, then you will be pleased and rewarded for that as well. So that's the goal of everything we're doing is to do both of those things. Right now, it serves more the the thought and contemplation part of it because of the, the nature of the serving vessel. But eventually, we hope to be in, in a more consumable package but just not the nature of what we're doing right now crushable cans crushable cans but that's also after people have like gotten familiar with it and are more like just looking for yeah no doubt a friend just i don't know i'm I'm really excited about the brand in general man i'm glad that i got to come out here and talk to you about it because as soon as i saw that you were doing it i really wanted to just get your thoughts basically because i knew it was i knew there'd be a great story behind (laughs) it and there really is so I love the fact that you're just kind of pursuing what you what you want, you know, what you love here. So thank you. So it's kind of an awesome story for people to connect to a really well thought out beer, you Thanks. know, that they yeah. can do it all at the same time. I know you guys don't handle compliments all that well. No. <laughs> thank you. Well, it's awkward. I I don't know if everyone's gonna like every beer they have from us, but I can guarantee sure you they, they will. will be thought out and they will be thoughtful and purposeful and succinct and intentional. Hell yeah! Intentional is a great way to describe that. Like, this is what this is what you're planning, right. what you're doing. Uh, no, it's good. It's good to see your vision come alive for you, and you know, see it packaged and, and off into people's hands. So, yeah. thank you. I'll be keeping an eye on it, and uh, yeah, uh, thanks for thanks for coming out again. Yeah. Anything <laughs> else you want to cover? Uh, I mean, no? that's that's pretty much everything I got to okay. say. Well, you know what? I, I will backtrack real quick. <laughs> One thing I, I meant to ask you was like uh, specific, I know it's not going to fall every one that you do is not going to be the exact same, but like these table beers, what you've put out so far, uh, you, you talked about kind of making sure that they're selling in a certain amount of time. Like what kind of shelf life do you see on those? I mean, they have a lot of shelf life. They're bottle conditioned. Yeah. They're not, not going to like fall off the same way a New England IPA would, <laughs> especially the ones that have Brett in them. Yeah. Um, 
the Brett, I wouldn't say to seller any of the ones that don't have Brett in them. Drink them fresh is probably going to be better. They will be, they will last longer and still be okay longer than, uh, you know, a forced carbonated hop driven beer. Uh, the Brett ones you can sell her for a long time, but I'd still, you're going to have the best experience with it. If you keep it, keep the right ones cold, drink them relatively fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, we're, it's a month between the time we actually package the beer and put it out. So like, it's not going to, and it's stored warm because that's how it has to ferment and carbonate. Um, so it's protected. It's warm. It's going to, it will last longer, but you still want to drink them relatively okay. young and fresh. Sure. Or, or you can, or hold on to them, see how they, but, Just, but, but know what you're doing. Yeah. Know that it's not. You get a gusher in two and a half years. Don't yell at Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you can yell at me. You can do whatever you want. I'm the, I just might not take it seriously. Uh, but yeah, just know that it's going to evolve in a way that is not necessarily beneficial if you save a regular one for years and years. But I, you know, I don't know. Serving temperatures, anything do you prefer right at cold right out the fridge? Or uh, like, yeah. Pour it cold out of the fridge, maybe a little bit warmer and let it warm up. Unless you're gonna drink it real fast, then probably like a little you're bit warmer than fridge. It. Yeah. yeah. Um it will it will change what it's displaying over time as it uh as it warms up too. So I mean, you know. I'll be looking for those Iswas Magnums coming <laughs> soon. We actually yeah. talked about it. We're like, we should do Magnums the first one. And then we're like, have. that's like a hot, a big percentage of the entire batch is to fill one Magnum. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, maybe, we, maybe we'll hold off I on the Magnum I have heard stories batch. that Magnum bottles themselves are not easy to find these days. Oh, yeah. Sometimes we didn't, they're tough we, to source. We didn't actually look, but I, I know some people who have done them. So I, uh-huh. I, this is like the, the having friends in the industry. and like, where'd you get those? <laughs> there's there's freaking Magnums of Dre sitting at bottle shops currently, like while we're talking right now, right. in Chicago, Illinois. It's really funny to go when you look at, if you're on, looking at Binny's shelves, it gives you how much it is per ounce. And the Magnums are more expensive per ounce than the are 750s. Dick Swing bottle. <laughs> Which is just like, Dick yeah. Swing bottle. The, the, it's all. also funny them being like, yeah, people are going to buy these and they they don't care. They're just going to spend the money. So 95 bucks, let's right. go. Yeah, let's do it. Some of that Gaston. Yeah. All right. Well, Mike, again, thank you. Appreciate you having me. You actually literally invited me into your humble abode. (laughs) Yeah, thank you you for coming. Ah, That's awesome. I'm out here, man. (laughs) Thanks.